G'day guys, we are live and we are talking all thing narrative events. You're here with the coach. I am excited as always, but I legitimately am extremely super crazy excited. Um, I'm very, very excited about this particular discussion. It's one that I've wanted to have for a long time. It's one that I tried to set up earlier and Mitzi and Jibo don't know that I tried to do it, but it's like a little bit of a sneak sneak. But this video is all about about narrative events and a lot of events get uh, a lot of focus, whether it's team tournaments, one-on-ones, grand tournaments, uh, but very little in my opinion is spoken about narrative events. So I want to talk a little bit more about Mitzi and Jimbo and the events that they run. So there's a, a little team that kind of runs these, what I think is the world's best narrative events. Uh, they they will be humble and go, no, 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 there's other cool events, bullshit. They've got, there's awesome, crazy, cool events. We have Mitzi and Jimbo or Jimbo and Mitzi or Jitsi and Mimbo. G'day, g'day, g'day. G'day. How are you? I'm well. I've got a coffee. Have you got a coffee? I absolutely have. And mine says, uh, wah. <laughs> I'm on the tea. You know, it's, it's, it's England, so. Hey, mine says love. Jimbo's mine says on love. the tea, but, but more importantly, he's rocking his Thundercats mug, which is awesome. So That is my impressive. Color changing, color changing Thundercats mug. Thank you. I'm very impressed, and I'm so excited about this. I even changed the name drop on the background. So, oh, geez, wrong way, wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> Change it called Name Your Heroes because it is all about narrative gaming. It is forget your points, forget your match play, forget your general's handbook. We are talking narrative events. And um, so the event that we're talking about here is, is um, a team, uh, a, an event called Raw. Um, and the boys are going to tell me a little bit about why you should consider either playing narrative events, setting up a narrative event, or maybe some ideas to improve your narrative events. We're going to kind of deep dive into a little bit of their best practice and hopefully for you event organizers, get some ideas to promote narrative, narrative events. And uh, I've got a narrative event. I've run a couple of narrative events in the past, so I know how much fun they are to create them. And then you add anvils of, of apotheosis, anvils of apotheosis, which has just come out and it's just supercharged um, the narrative space. So for me, I'm crazy excited, although I feel like I say that all the time. But if people don't know who you guys are because they haven't seen your channel, by the way, link in the description, who are Mitzi and Jimbo? Mitzi. Uh, Mitzi and Jimbo. So, well, well I'm Mitzi, obviously, uh, and that's Jimbo, quite obviously. Says it on the T-shirt. Um, and we are a couple of uh, gamers uh, who've known each other for about, I think, eight years now. Um, and we are part of the Eat Bats gaming group in Cambridgeshire in the UK. Um, and, yeah, we kind of um, all hang out. We don't have a formal club, if you like, but we all have our own gaming spaces and we chill out, play games whenever we can. Uh, and Jimbo and I decided to branch off and become social media superstars. Um, and by superstars, I mean very, very, very small ones. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but we like Warhammer. And that's what we decided to talk about. And yeah, we, we yeah, that's where we are and, and how we're here. I was just saying, if Jimbo wants to add anything. Maybe <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. I, I didn't want to interrupt. I, I thought Mitzi was uh, spectacular there. So I'll, I'll leave I'd it to yeah. oh, Thank you, darling. I'd vote Prime Minister for you, mate, uh, especially <laughs> if you start putting down Hops Ho down at a national level. But 
We had the pleasure of meeting at Adepticon last year. I've been a follower of your channel for a long time. I think you guys bring a real interesting flair to our game, and it's one that I think I've always been really inspired about, seeing what you guys do. And, and you know, for someone who's in a quite a competitive kind of mindset, it's very easy to get focused on points and war scroll effectiveness and, you know, all of that kind of just like how do I win, how do I get 5-0, and oh? how do I handle the meta but for you guys, it's completely different. And, you know, if I think about, you know, the narrative and Age of Sigma, and probably in the last 12 to maybe even 24 months, ever since, was it Phil Kelly put out that video about the mortal realms and, you know, we, we start getting maps and we, you know, had Soulbound and we've got, you know, we've got Gur maps and Gairan maps and Akshi maps and we're getting more and more and more and more detailed lore and it's 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 exciting to explore and I think we could bring more to that to our gaming tables and thus narrative gaming. Yeah, I, th I think it's fair to say, isn't it, Jimbo, that, that between us um, you are sitting to the right of the narrative fence in that you're more of a competitive gamer. So you are looking at War Scroll effectiveness. You are looking at, you know, predominantly match play because that's kind of your your niche. Uh, my niche has very much been, well, I never win a game of Age of Sigma, so um, I may as well play narratively. And I enjoy that. I, I enjoy living in that bubble, I suppose. So, um, uh, but that's not to say that Jimbo doesn't play narratively because there, 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 there is with this game system that we all love uh, and, and revel in the ability to to bring multiple sides of the game into your gaming experience. Yeah, I, I think Mixie's right. I, I do tend more towards the match play, but I do understand narrative as well. But that's been I had to learn it. It's not something that kind of came natural to me. Um, you mentioned earlier about Raw, which is Realms at War, which is the event we run uh, with our two friends, uh, Ming Lee and Steve Foote as well. And between the four of us, we all have quite different skill sets, which, which works really, really well. And, and my part in that one is is to look for the um, the word I hate, balance. Oh, don't like that. I can talk for hours on it. Not my thing at all. But um, yeah, to, to understand how things are going to work with each other. And that's where I can bring in and, and try and reel in the crazy ideas, the amazing crazy ideas that the other three will throw into the mix. And, and I try and make it work. For me, I've always started to see uh, that, you know, people think about the pendulum, right? Mm -hmm. You've got the, the narrative, you know, competitive uh, whack or win at all costs. Then you've got this other side of the pendulum, which is um, the, the narrative or the open play, uh, the one where you throw points out the window, the ones that uh, you start to create stories, and that is probably the primary driver. But for me, probably over the last 12 to 24 months, ever since I got involved into some narrative gaming and, and ran uh, Coalescence Malign Portance, which was 2018, I think it was, mm. uh, maybe even 17 when I ran that very first one. For me, I started to realise that Warhammer isn't mutually exclusive between match play or a narrative play. Mm. There is this, this little, this is massive ground in between where we can still create stories. We all put so much effort into our paint schemes, name characters, uh, we kit bash and convert to make a model our own, and th I, I think we're we are finding the pendulum is swinging now in the centre to kind of find that middle space, which is again why I'm really excited to talk to you both about narrative play and how we can start either creating more narrative events or bringing more narrative to your gaming. I'd actually challenge you on that pendulum, Anthony. I would I would say actually I think I'm often what it is you know we get a triangle. And you have one side being narrative, one side being match play, and one side being open play. And then it's within that where your where your gaming can sit. So it can it can have elements of all three. And I'd say with Raw, we do have elements of all three. We're, we're not pure narrative. Yeah. 
we bring in match play, we use that, we bring in a bit of open play as well. So um, they can all be mixed and mixed into different levels, however far you want to go. I think, I think, yeah, I, I think if we're talking pure narrative, I think actually you hit the nail on the head. Uh, if, if you ignore the gaming aspect for five seconds and you take on the actual hobby aspect and the model building and all the rest of it, I think the very first time a hobbyist takes a model and thinks, do you know what? I don't like the head on that model. I'm going to put that head on that model from a different, completely different range or whatever. At that point, they are individualizing that model and they are becoming narrative in the way, the way they want that particular model to sit um, because it brings character to that model. And I think that's precisely where every hobbyist's immersion into narrative begins. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, you know, you you just got to look at Twitter, you look at Instagram, you look anywhere that people are sharing their hobby. And there have been a couple of armies that I think have really supercharged the kit bashing and converting uh, Cities of Sigma and Gargans even. Like I'm looking at Gargans now and how many crazy Gargan players are going out there and kit bashing and converting. So many cool, whether it's Vince Ventrella going his Frankenstein route, whether you're going through Ricky Smith, who's what he's doing um, from a narrative perspective. you got people who are using endless spells on their Gargans, people who are bringing in a whole bunch of different monsters and ideas and, you know, pulling from the bloodthirster kid, a lot of change kid. They made a, I saw a, uh, I saw a, like a, a, a great unclean one kit bash with a gargant, which was in crazy cool. Um, we're seeing more and more of that. And I think this is kind of now the time where I think that people are now getting more open to exploring the narrative. There was this, this perception a long time ago that Age of Sigma had no law. And I think a lot of people have been proven wrong and there is some pretty cool rules and pretty cool law and pretty cool stories that are now being told in the mortal realms. And for me, the narrative space and I'm, and, you know, full disclosure, I'm, uh, I'm running a narrative event next month, uh, next year, next month, next year in March. And I've based mine around Beast Grave because the Beast Grave setting for me has been really, really cool. And we obviously know it from the game, but we haven't actually explored the mountain that is Beast Grave. And I'm like, cool, how do I tell this in a gaming format? So for me, this is selfishly as well, learning about narrative events so I can be a better narrative uh, event organizer. But before we get into that, I want to ask Mitzi, how did you get involved in running narrative events and organizing Age of Sigmar events? Uh, so, uh, well, uh, I guess initially uh, we started through Eat Bats. Actually, we started running tournaments back in Eighth Edition. So it was a it was it was a natural progression when Age of Sigma came and the world as we knew it split and the gaming groups that we knew them split um, to say, well, actually, we enjoy uh, running events at Age of, uh, in Eighth Edition, uh, and we only ran two or three, but we had a good time doing it, and it was you know a chance for us all as mates to be in a room and, and have other mates turn up. Um, and we were like, well, we need to continue doing that. So, so um, essentially we, um, at the end of um, eighth, we um, went to the Ming Votationals, which was Ming Lee's farewell to eighth edition. Um, Jimbo, myself, Steve Foote, uh, a lot of other mates, uh, people on the scene went down there. They were all invited by Ming to come down uh, to Bristol, uh, and we had a fantastic farewell weekend of playing 8th edition. Uh, I won't harp on about 8th edition anymore, but essentially while we were there, we had such a good time that um, Ming, uh, myself and Steve Foote started just chatting online after the event to say, wouldn't it be great if we could, because the Ming Invitationals wasn't a straightforward 8th edition event. 
it was different. Ming had custom written rules for each of the generals for their armies. He'd handpicked what we could and couldn't do. Um, and, and we had to all bring a story behind our army to, to the event. So he kind of kickstarted something in, I think, all of our brains. Um, and we were like, well, that's, that was actually a really fun weekend of playing wargaming. Um, let's translate that into AOS and let's be, let's, let's launch an AOS event around that kind of premise basically the narrative premise so yeah the three of us chatted i then said to jimbo jimbo i need a hand mate we need to we need to set this up we're going to do it in cambridge um jimbo came on board in the chat and it just exploded um five five years later we we yeah we're running the best narrative event in the world you you said it at the start of the show <laughs> I, I i would like to be proven wrong but uh, you know if, if you ask anybody in the narrative scene or anyone who's heard of narrative gaming uh you know which event they want to attend you know in match play people talk about a cancon they talk about adepticon they talk about uh they talk about a south ghost gt and, and uh blood and glory in your world you guys are clearly in my opinion the the top and it gets to a point where chuck moore dressed up like marathi um and we'll bring up photos a little bit later but you know it's not just about a narrative game it is people bringing their whole selves uh bringing their story to life and that is really exciting to see how people bring their own story and their community uh into the mix and and, and for me that's that's uh, the cool thing, as you said, you know, bringing models to life, bringing stories to life, uh, doing things in game that uh, actually is at their detriment, but it's actually better from a story perspective. Um, I think that's where I think that's really cool. Uh, yeah, I, I should just go back and clarify. Obviously, yes, we, we run raw and we really love the fact that we run raw uh, and the four of us have absolutely immersed ourselves in it to the max. Um, I think we, it would be fair to say that we drew a huge amount of inspiration from other events running. Okay. So Steve Herner's events um, over in the US, uh, absolutely phenomenal. His tables and his, the effort that he put into them were inspiration on, on how we wanted our tables to look like. And we then ratcheted it up to, you know, 11 on the dial, if you like, um, in, in, uh, in that way. Um, but yeah, there, there, there were so many, um, again, Steve Wren. Um, I was, was, was going to say Steve yeah. Wren. I've stolen so many ideas from yeah, Steve Wren. With absolutely. His achievement system. Yeah. Warhammer achievements, um, has been a huge inspiration and yeah, there's, there's several others, too many to mention, but yeah, it's kind of, uh, and the Ming Vitational was right back at the beginning, sort of merging all of those things and throwing them out there to, to do what, effectively was an event that we wanted to play in i think that and i want to ask jimbo for in a, in a minute um you know what is a narrative event like actually set the scene especially you know if i was uh someone who's only ever played match play maybe i played some team tournaments maybe i played in some doubles but i've never been exposed to narrative but before i get to that particular point the the, the one thing that i've the biggest lesson that i've learned as a, an event organizer is that it's not my job to reinvent the wheel I don't have to create this fully brand new concept to an event. There are so many cool players packs out there in the world that I can look at, be inspired by, take the best bits or the ones that most represent me and make my mongrel event. Um, and obviously I can make my own things, but you don't have to start from the start. And I think if you are inspired by uh, Raw, you're inspired by uh, Holy Havoc, you're inspired by south coast gt take take some of their ideas and, and, and make make it your own oh, definitely i mean 
we steal all sorts of stuff. That's that's you know, <laughs> it's, it's there. It's there to be used. So. Um, like you say, grab the best bits. And it's not just um, other events as well. I mean, we can talk about it a bit later on, but um, looking at uh, rules in, in different systems as well. Um, I've taken stuff from 40K and applied that to Raw, um, yeah. particularly actually the Gene Steeler Cults, uh, their ability to, when they set up, they, their blips on the table rather than actually having the models. And we've used that in Battle Plants before as well. I love that. I think that's really cool. So why not adapt it for Age of Sigma? I've gone through a lot of Warhammer fantasy battles and looked at some of their campaigns just to see how they, you know, whether it's a white dwarf or an official campaign, you know, again, there's some really cool ideas that you can kind of uh, make into your own and like, well, how do I bring this to life? But talk to me, Jimbo, what, what is a narrative event? Imagine we're in an elevator and you're telling me about this, this whole thing called raw or just a general idea about narrative events. What do I expect as a, as a player going into a narrative event? So I think that's actually quite tricky to answer because there's a massive range on what a narrative event can be. Um, it, it could be quite a simple narrative event. It could be quite a detailed narrative event. But um, getting down into it, there involves some form of a story. Now, that can be a story for the event itself or it could be a, story, a personal story for each individual player. Uh, and what we try and do at Raw is we provide a framework so there's an overarching story, but within that, the players, if they want to, they can develop their own story and run with it. If they want to just stick to the overarching story, that's absolutely cool as well. We try and make it really, really simple. It's, it's not making it difficult. But what to expect is, um, I think, I've got to keep in mind, we are wargaming. You know, there, there is still, a, you know, a lot of people think narrative means the armies are rubbish. It's not necessarily true. Yeah, I can think some of the some of the most narrative armies I can think of are actually extremely powerful. Say, take for example uh, an all eel list. I think that's quite narrative. The idea of having a general on his big seahorse and a load of eels following in, you know, we know that's powerful. Um, I think having uh, lots of um, stone horns is, is is you know the idea of them all charging forward in a, in a kind of mass stampede. Again, quite powerful. Um, but it doesn't have to be like that. And you've got to think about how you, you compose your army and, and what your army will do. And you mentioned it earlier. Sometimes you don't do things that are actually the most efficient. But you, you, the best thing to do is try and think, what would they do in that situation? Would my bloodletters retreat? Doesn't sound like it to me. They should stay in there till the end, hacking away. It might be, it might be glorious death, but hey, that's what Corn wants, isn't it? So thinking along those lines rather than going, oh, I need to retreat onto this objective so I can hold it for next turn to get so many points, XXX. That's not saying you do things that are definitely detrimental to your army. Um, sometimes you do want to do some, some different things, um, which we, we've built into raw having secondary objectives and, and um, uh, particularly at raw 19 where players had to hold or could hold objectives at the end of the game, but it wasn't a major part of what they did, but it did have an effect. Um, throughout the rest of the event. Uh, and, and that's also where narrative works. Each game then provides an effect to the next game and it builds along, builds along. And that's how you get your story coming out. And it could be something as simple as having a character that upgrades at the end of every every battle, which which we did at our first Raw, at Raw Legends, Raw 16, uh, which Steve Wren has done with Warhammer Achievements. Um, I actually really like the way Steve did it. I wish we'd done it like that, to be honest, but hey. We all learn, don't we? Um, we, we? We build off each other, right? And you, and you exactly. see someone do something else. Like I've, I've looked at what you guys have done, and I think I was looking at – might have been Bill, Bill, Bill Castro. or I can't remember who was doing – maybe someone who was running the narrative event in LVO uh, in Las Vegas. And I remember looking at the way they'd done um, tokens. So one of the cool things that I was looking at as a tournament organiser, because when I do a match play tournament, most of the time I'm sitting behind the scenes, I'm doing some data entry, I'm, you know, 
clarifying rules questions. Um, I'm taking photos. It's kind of my role at a, a traditional GT. But when I've run uh, narrative events, I almost become anyone who played Dungeons and Dragons or any role-playing game, I almost can become a, a dungeon master or a game master. And I can start to interact with the table. Um, you know, you talked about upgrading characters. You know, I've said in my upcoming tournament, I'm being willing to be bribed. Bribe me. You want to take me to lunch and you want to try to gain favor from the gods? Try it. Who knows what's going to happen? I've always had this grand idea. As a car. I always wanted to borrow um, somebody's KO army and actually go to an event and try to offer each of my opponents $50 in whole car- cold hard cash to forfeit the game. I wanted to have cash. And I was always going to try to negotiate with players. So like game one, I was going to offer someone like 30 bucks. And if I could get away cheaper, I'd then put that 20 bucks into the second game. And I would, you know, it, it come game five, if people haven't taken my offer, I might have 200 bucks to go forfeit the game because a KO player or a KO story, they don't want to battle. They're traders. They want to maintain those relationships. And I always wanted to try, could I get away with bribery to win a tournament with cash? And I, was, I had like crazy ideas and like, but like I can bring that to life at a narrative event. I can Definitely. do some crazy stuff. So think- um, one of our players, sorry, Mitzi, one of our players at uh, Raw 18, at Aethermy, um, they, the, the whole idea behind that was there was, um, uh, it's kind of alchemy effectively. And uh, their Aethermist, the guy who was mixing all the, the Aether chemicals together, uh, made this thing called Aetheroin, uh, which was a drug basically. And so he offered it to his opponent every game and it massively boosted like their characters' abilities, like it made them really powerful, but they had a chance of dying immediately. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he went through the whole event doing that, just off basically putting these drugs out. <laughs> it was hilarious, absolutely I, brilliant. I, yeah, I, I think if we if we come back to the um, the the expectations, I think my my advice to anyone thinking of attending a narrative event would be simply to not go to the narrative narrative event as an event player, but to go to the narrative event, making sure that they are there as the general of their army or as an upcoming lieutenant in uh, in their army and go in there actually with the, the headspace that I am that model on the table and I'm going to be interacting. So therefore, what I'm not seeing the table from a player perspective, I'm seeing the table from a model perspective. And therefore, can I actually see those guys around the back of that building? I know they're there because I'm a player, but am I actually naturally going to be going that way if something over there is attracting my attention? Do you, do you see what I mean? And getting actually mm. into the mindset of your army rather than the mindset of an event player perspective. It bring it brings RPG. It, it does bring role-playing to the table. And I think, uh, again, if I look at Twitter and Instagram, um, I'm a Dungeons and Dragons player. Uh, I'm currently playing in a campaign, been playing since, you know, second edition uh, and really enjoy it. And there's a lot of people, whether they play uh, MMORPGs, whether they play regular RPGs, whether it's Soul Band, Dungeons and Dragons, Vampire the Masquerade, people play role-playing games. And it allows you to kind of bring some of that to the table and have a whole bunch of fun. Whether you want to cosplay, whether you don't want to cosplay, whether you just want to make some decisions on the table, I, I think for me, and again, depending on who you are and if you're listening to this, if you are a player thinking about coming to a narrative event and this sounds interesting to you, whether you want to explore the lore of Age of Sigma or you want to start playing a different 
style of game, highly recommend going. If you're inspired by this kind of concept, you're like, I'd like to bring a story to life. For me, I mentioned Beast Grave. I talked about the mountain of Beast Grave full of treasures and riches and undead and, uh, you know, the, the, the death magic has been seeped in. And I've created a story to basically say to the people, you either want to defend it and stop it from getting into the wrong hands because there's a lot of arcane treasures and stuff, or you want to take it over. And there'll be a whole bunch of story that'll come in during the weekend. But I want to put some context in, and I'm going to share a short little trailer video about one of the many events. So Mitzi, Jimbo, Team Raw, they have a different theme every year. Um, so it's this continuing narrative that are very different, and each of the events look very different. So to put some context into this, I'm going to play a short video, and then we'll kind of bring some of this to life. It's a kind of magic It's a kind of magic A kind of magic so hopefully I can hopefully I can demonetize for having uh, <laughs> Queen going and across YouTube gods. But if I'm a player looking at it and I'm like, okay, well, there's something magic, right? And there's some combinations going on here. What was the story you were trying to tell here with this particular video? Maybe, maybe Jimbo, I'll throw it to you, maybe. Yeah, uh, so so I think that was the first video we put out just to advertise. Uh, that was Raw 18, A for me. Um, that was really my fun. My all-time favourite pre-release of one of our <laughs> events, I have to say. <laughs> so, so much fun, that video. Um, so, so the idea behind it, um, I mentioned earlier, it's, it's kind of about alchemy, but... Uh, that the principle of, of how, what's the principle? I think the first little inkling of idea we had about that was actually, you mentioned him earlier, um, Phil Kelly's um, writings, actually, some of, the, some of the text he put out. I think it was on Warcom at the time. I can't quite remember. But he was talking about the edge of the realms where you know, things can blur, reality kind of blurs. And he said weird things kind of happen near the edge of the realms. And one of the things that can happen is you could turn into a potato. And, and I read that line and I thought, now that sounds like fun. How can I turn people into potatoes? Um, and so we came up with this idea of A for me. Uh, and again, I mentioned earlier. So you, each player brought their own little character they custom made, which was called uh, the Aethermist. And then we provided a deck of cards, which Mitzi is showing there. Um, and then the players could, they gained the cards during the game. They could then use these cards to then create effects. Um, this is an incredibly simple kind of mechanic that Steve developed. Yeah, it was absolutely insane, but it was so cool. Um, and the other thing, the idea of turning a potato, if things go hideously wrong when you are doing this uh, Aether mix, again, it's, it's, you choose the cards, you roll two dice, very much like magic, um, but if you roll double one, you turn a potato. That was it. It was pretty simple. So uh, as you can get, guess, the idea of it was that it was quite comedy, so we went very, very kind of Pratchett-esque on that, which works for me because when I'm writing stuff, I write quite a lot of background for it. Um, I find writing comedic kind of stuff like that a lot easier. I do find writing serious stuff just... Well, I mean, what if anyone looks at Warhammer, and if anyone's been in the game for a long time, you would see that Warhammer has been a very comedic game since day zero. Um, during Grim Dark, it's kind of lost a little bit of it during the Grim Dark era, 
But if you look at the roots of Warhammer, it is very funny. There's a lot of subtle comedy. There's a lot of Easter eggs. There's a lot of silliness. It's very English slapstick at times. And uh, being Australian, who is essentially half American, half English, um, I, I do really appreciate that funny slapstick stuff that uh, is just very British humour. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think don't don't take Raw as a as a kind of event that yeah is silly. Um, but there's always comedy gold uh, in any in any event in any game. There is always a moment I find when I'm playing my opponent that we laugh about something that just happened. It could be something completely ridiculous, like you know you've got you know five units about to make a charge and you roll double ones on all of them, so you don't make the three inch with any of them, and it, it changes. There, there's always a moment in gaming where you you laugh about it, and and I think with 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 Raw, we try to take a uh, uh, an event and make it just a good, fun weekend of gaming. It isn't serious. It Well, it is serious because there's an overarching story and all of the players are adding to that story and the story evolves throughout the weekend and their armies evolve throughout the weekend and things change for them. But ultimately, we're there to have, you know, 30 to 40, you know, upwards of, 40 players having a real good fun time but also being 100% immersed in the weekend and you touched on it earlier where as a previous you know as a, as a match play TO you're very much behind a desk you're very much data entry you're very much you know just getting in checks and balances all the way through some rules inquiries like absolutely, absolutely. shake hands kiss babies I'm very much a politician like you just <laughs> yeah, making sure everyone's having a good time <laughs> but but at Raw, and, and indeed, as you've said, you very much become a dungeon master. And after our first event, after the Legends weekend, we always push back to the players and we always say, right, guys, what could we do better? What would you like more of? You know, what 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 two or three things would you suggest? And the, the majority of people after that first weekend said, we want your interaction more in the room. So effectively from that moment forward we were like yeah we basically need to be gms and ultimately you know we'd love to have a gm at every table uh, but there are four of us so how do we do that and how do we and that then influences i guess the events themselves because like last year or uh, yeah last year um we had the the bright main and dracoth foot political campaign going off um, and that was very much, yeah, yeah that one. <laughs> uh, there's, uh, yeah, there's Brightmane down in the bottom uh, corner oh, yeah. there, and foot front and centre, yeah. as he always likes to be. But yeah, <laughs> we, we essentially wanted to run two factions and and lead a political, you know, an, a political uprising against the establishment and get the players on board with the two leaders of the factions to try and outwit the others. Um, and, and so we very much became part of the weekend. Um, and we'd done it the previous year with the four gods. We all had a, a different T-shirt on. So each of us were a, a god, a chaos god, um, interacting with the players on the tables and, and, and generally um, giving boons and, and, uh, and what have you to, to our, our favourite players, if you like, or, or the, those that are... Those are the uh, that needed a boost at the time, or perhaps needed knocking down a peg or two. I think I think that last last year, Raw nineteen, when we had the two characters 
does show very much how our uh, team Rawson, the four of us, work together because um, I'd always push back on the idea of having kind of cosplay for us because it's not something I'm particularly comfortable with. I, I don't like doing that kind of thing. It's not me at all. Um, but we decided to go with it, group decision. I was like, okay, fine, we'll do that. And Mitzi and uh, Steve dressed up as the two characters and performed in character for the for the whole weekend, which is something I, I can't do. It's not in my skill set. It's not something I'm comfortable with. But those two guys are amazing at it. But that left me free to to deal with the admin behind behind the background. It just shows how the team works. We're really lucky like that, and we we, we take advantage of everyone's different different skills and what they're good at. Um, and those two guys were amazing. I admit, you have to say, this London ogre of Brightmain. I mean, it's the character <laughs> that made, made the event. Um, everyone knows who that is. It's, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, and I, I think ultimately what what we have as a foursome, um, and and I, and I would say that you don't have to have four people to run a narrative event. You know, you've said it yourself, uh, Anthony. You're you're running one in in March. Um, it, we just happen to have come together with four people with different skill sets. So you know, we're looking at the Athemi deck uh, for for Athemi. You know, Steve Foot, his profession is graphic design. Um, he, he has that skill set. You know, all the videos, all the smart logos, all of the razzmatazz, if you like, he's able to digitize and then put into print form. So we're able to pull together, you know, um, a pack that's beautifully presented and, and you know, add add additional bits. And, and the deck of cards was something that we really wanted each player to be able to take away with them. So, you know, it's a fully presented deck of cards printed, you know, all, all six sides, um, I don't know, 52 cards inside, all with different functions. Um, and we got them professionally printed, um, all, all part of the, the, the entry fee. Uh, and that, that forms a game that you can play outside of our event. Um, and so I think the one thing that we wanted was to try and allow players, and we said it at the beginning, Jimbo said a framework, I like to call it a sandbox, we put down a set of rules, uh, we put down an overarching story, and we put down some specific battle plans and scenarios that allow people to interact differently with terrain, uh, with each other, uh, and to try and um, create their own narrative whilst adding to the major narrative. And I, and I think, yeah, being able to essentially turn up and go, oh, wow, that looks different. I've never played on a table with this much terrain in it. How is that going to affect my army? How is it going to affect the game itself? Because um, that's one thing that we really like to do is flood tables with dramatic scenery to, 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 to give people the opportunity to play in a different style. For, for me, when I look at narrative gaming, and I think uh, for any aspiring TOs out there who, or even a TO who is already, you know, doing narrative events, you know, what you're trying to do is you're not trying to determine a uh, an ultimate winner of your event. Uh, it's not about the person who goes 5-0 and o or has the most kill points and the objective scored. You know, what you're really trying to do is foster a set of stories. And hopefully when you get people coming to the table, you are looking for a shared story experience where uh, something you are both going for something, uh, where, you know, and, and, and there's been times where I've been playing narrative and let's say we do a match play scenario. We'll say, well, okay, well, your army versus my army, we've got a couple of objectives. What, what are the objectives? What actually is it on the table? 
uh, yes, in the game, it's a marker, but what actually is it? Is it uh, some Sigma, right? Is it something we're trying to stop you from claiming because it's going to allow you to, to do X? Um, one of the things that I'll be doing in my event in March is my objective tokens, or I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of, I've got an industrial amount of those Azerite Ruin um, treasure boxes, those little boxes. That Games Workshop were very fortunate to, to sponsor one of my events, and I've got a million of them, literally a million. But I'm going to paint them all up and I'm going to drop them on tables like treasure chests. Again, Beast Grave is full of old treasures. And during the game, I want people to start competing for them. And when they open the treasures, there will be tokens and prizes that they can come to a caravan and, tr and trade in. So they can actually be the person who acquires the most wealth. Or they might actually upgrade their force. They actually might their, their hero might get better. They might be able to find more artifacts that are improve them in the game. And it doesn't matter. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a whole bunch of prizes and support for the person who has the most gold and the person who has the most amount of artifacts and the person who does find the most treasure chests. But it's not about who has the most, it's about the story that you tell along the way. And hopefully everyone has a great time. I think for me, that's what how I see a narrative event. And hopefully my rules and my players pack and the way I, I run it tries to foster that fun shared story experience. Yeah, I think you mentioned uh, winning there, and that, that's the question we get asked quite a lot, actually, is, is how, how do you win a narrative event? Um, it's, a, it's a good question, frankly. Uh, the way we deal with it is we don't tell people the story mechanics. They can't game it. So they don't have any choice, basically. It's go and have some fun, and you'll find out what happens at the end. Um, so we have quite complicated metrics and lots of things that feed into it to determine how we decide or how we determine a winner, as it were, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but we do it differently. So last year, again, uh, Raw 19, we had the two factions and we knew at the start one faction would win and they'd all win. Every player was on that faction. So half the players at the event would win effectively. And uh, yeah, they get, get themselves a medal, as Mitzi is showing there. Lovely. That was, that was how we decided to do it. Um, and it also involved online online voting as well. We went out on Twitter, went to Twitter polls. Uh, I think it came down, there was one vote in it in the end. It was. That's like 400 votes, there's one vote in it. it I, I voted, I remember voting. I made sure to vote. <laughs> it was brilliant. I'm not going to ask you which way you swung, but uh, I'm, I, I, I'm hoping it was my way, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but that was so much that was so much fun but yeah it really was because literally we on the saturday night we all went back to jimbo's house we'd sort of stayed late because we always stay late into the evening so there's always like the, the the games during the day and then we encourage all of the players to stay with us uh so we get takeouts in you know everyone kicks around and we always try to have an additional um an additional mini game on a Saturday evening that then allows the players to just freely mingle with one another, interact with one another. Um, and they, if they do stay, there's an additional little bonus that they can roll into the next day. Um, so it's a good way of getting everybody to stay in the room. To be honest, everyone likes staying in the room anyway, because there's always, you know, it's a, you know, bring your own beer scenario and everyone kicks around and, and choose the card after a day of gaming and then just carries on going. Um, but yeah, we literally got back to Jimbo's at about 11.30 that night, and the Twitter poll was live. Um, the, the four of us were just sat there counting votes, counting votes, counting votes until it closed at midnight. Uh, it was great. It was a real, uh, for us, because it meant that we then knew 
how we had to then play the second day and what we were going to do the following day to try and come back from that if you were on the losing end. Um, it was really good fun. So I guess if what, what I'm hearing as well is um, is you've got an opportunity to tell a story. And uh, one of the things that I've really enjoyed with Raw, uh, there's been certain Raws, like, I don't know if all of the Raws have had this, but, you know, you can create factions, you can create the four gods, you can have uh, your own factions. I think one of your events you might have had eight different factions and split up your player pool by like eight or six different, you know, I guess alignments or different types of objectives and players can jump around and try to uh, try to influence the, I guess, the outcome of the game. Um, the A for me, for example, uh, I'm going to share another little short video in a second, which are one of my little favorites, that with A for me, it allowed you to create a wizard wagon or essentially if I'm going to try to create all of this these combinations of, of athamine and I'm going to grab ingredients and I'm going to try to put them together and try to find that winning combination that's going to get me whatever it is. Um, I need a wizard wagon. I need somewhere to, that my, my athamus can actually mix up my, uh, my potions and in game that also could be an opportunity for then me to deny or take over, or maybe I steal, uh, maybe I can steal some of your ingredients, but I want to share this little short video again, kind of shows a little bit about what these wizard wagons are all about. Man, that gets me fired up. That gets me fired up. And and like I know I know the, the next event you guys are running is cog forts and you're gonna be building a cog fort uh during the event. But again, I guess what I'm trying to show any aspiring tournament organizers or event organizers um is just the creative the creativity you can bring to the table. Uh, maybe you tap into an existing story, whether it's Soul Wars and, and, and deep dive into something about Soul Wars. Maybe you want to start to explore, uh, you know, the battle of uh, light and shadow with Slanesh and really unpack that. Maybe you want to bring a whole different story to the table and bring uh, the Bad Moon or maybe Sylvaneth and bring up Alariel and her absolute wrath and supercharge that because, you know, she's got enough as enough. Whatever that story is, uh, the return of the Stormcast, you know, um, the the next Cities of Sigma, maybe you want to start to explore the next mortal realm and uh, try to maybe start creating some of those cities in, I don't know, Shimon or, or Shaiish. You can tell that story and then create some of the battles and create some of the characters to either push back or to, to create those cities. Yeah, I, th I, th I think for us, the the wonderful thing about the Age of Sigmar um, and, and putting together the first raw event, uh, Legends, was that we, we recognised that we're you know the event is realms at war so we wanted multiple realms to be featured at the event so the the, the initial idea was essentially to say right we're going to have 20 tables uh or 25 tables and each of those um sets of tables are going to be divided into four so you're going to have four tables in a row that become one realm there'll be a realm for Gur. there'll be a realm for akshi there'll be a realm for whatever okay and and GW with the rule set and realm gates uh, in, gave us an amazing tool to say, right, th those four tables aren't divided by a line. Those four tables, that's one realm. 
you might be at one end of the 12 foot bank uh, or the, the 24 foot bank or whatever, but your mate might be at the other end. There's no, there's nothing stopping you walking 24 feet up that end towards, you know, that, that, that end of the table. Uh, the, the, the players, the 10 players or the eight players around that realm are fully free to interact with one another. Yes. You've got individual game on. Yeah. You've, you've got an individual battle plan, but if you want to interact with the guy next to you, or if you want to walk through a realm gate and end up in Akshi and you're currently in Gur, fill your boots. The, the, the world is your oyster. The realm is your oyster. So, so I, could, I could have like a unit of Shadow Warriors, for example, and we know in Shadow Warriors come from the side of the board. I could bring those Shadow Warriors on somewhere else completely in the realm and assist one of my teammates or assist someone that, I don't know, maybe I've got a gripe with someone. I want to shoot their hero. Um, I could do that. I could literally do that and tell a story. And 100%. 100%. One, one, sorry, Betsy. No, go on. Carry on. I was to say, one year we had uh, two players uh, who'd agreed their own narrative beforehand, and basically one of them was chasing the other as they spent the entire event <laughs> legging it across the table after, after the other guy trying to get him. That's amazing. Yeah, and I want to bring they'd, they'd had this grudge, yeah, that they just wanted to fulfill. Absolutely. That's absolutely brilliant. I want to bring up a question from Laura in a second who kind of talks a little bit more about the, the personal narrative. But I know one thing that I'm I'm going to be doing in my upcoming event, and uh, because my event's going to be driven by this in-game currency, uh, and I've actually printed off these Sigma coins that people use in Warhammer fantasy role playing. So I've got a 3D printer. I printed these cool tokens, um, like basically money. They're Sigma money. Uh, they've got the comet on it. They're very cool. But I'm actually going to allow people to try to bribe me to assassinate an opponent's general. So they can actually pay me a whole bunch of their in game currency and attempt an assassination. And if they fail, um, and obviously they've got to do that before the game, right? They're going to come to me before the round starts and go, hey, here's my coins. Can you have a crack at uh, my opponent's general? or hero, um, if they fail, I'm going to let them know they tried it and then see what kind of wrath happens um, after that, like hearing now that they're, you know, they, they tried some sneaky tricks against them. But I think that's where we can really unlock some creativity, some craziness. If you, um, as a tournament organiser or an event organiser, if I see someone's really struggling, why not to have some divine intervention. I'm like, oh, cool. You can bring back that, that those units. Uh, hey, here's a couple of free rerolls. Uh, divine intervention. The, the gods are, uh, you know, the, the, the bad moon is shining bright on you. Oh, the bad moon's over here. I oh, know it's not over here now. I've moved the bad moon. And, like I can do whatever I want. But as obviously as long as it's, it's helping people have fun. I don't want to be a jerk, but, you know, creating a fun story. Yeah, I think I, I think that um, that that's kind of the the other aspect of narrative gaming that um, we need to touch on is that, um, you know, as a TO of a, of a match play, you get potentially rule questions. At a narrative event, the first one we run at Legends, Steve came over to us and said, I've just been asked if a player can um, can can go through a realm gate and go and do this. And he said, I just said to him, what would what would your general do on the table? Is that something that they would potentially want to do as part of their quest? And if the answer is yes, then fill your boots. The, so so the questions as a from a TO perspective isn't um, isn't, uh, you know, can you know, this rule says that this rule says that. Well, how do we play it? The, the, the answer is always at our events. Well, what would you do? 
you know, uh, and, and, and is that going to affect someone else? And are they going to, is it going to negatively impact on their game or not? If the answer is no, do it. If the answer is yes, but actually they're on the opposing team, do it anyway. You know, that's what this whole storytelling uh, scenario is about, basically. I was about to make exactly the same point as Mitzi just made. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think we've only ever had like two questions. Well, we barely get any questions at Raw anyway, because people just get on with it. Um, but we only have had two questions. We've had to like make a, a rule on ourselves. The rest of the time people ask us stuff and we go, well, what do you guys think would happen in this situation? And they look at each other and go, well, I think this would happen. I think this would happen. Yeah, that sounds about right, doesn't it? It's like, well, I'm superfluous to the operation. You guys crack on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're showing photos there of um, realm beasts, so that, that that's that's what possibly my favourite moment in Raw, because um, uh, that was that was Leviathan. So that was twenty seventeen. Seventeen, yeah, yeah, twenty seventeen. We we ran realms at war Leviathans, and and I suppose you know you showed the video earlier of the Aether Labs. One of the things that we like to try and do with all of the events is to say to the players, this is what you're coming to do. This is the overarching story. We've given you some hooks and some what have you. You don't have to prepare a fully narrative army. You can bring to our event 1,500 points of anything. You cannot bring a named character. There's no restrictions on what models you can bring in the army. Um, you've just got to bring a selection of models and you're going to play varying size games. So on the day, you'll just say, right, well, I think I need these items to play this game or these units. The one stipulation is we don't allow named characters. So you can't bring Gotrek to Raw. You can't bring Nagash to Raw. Any named characters are out. You can only bring heroes um, and you can only bring the units from the books. Um, and because we want those players to ultimately have thought about those lesser heroes and developed some kind of storyline for themselves um but then the other stipulation is well, it's not a stipulation we encourage people to take the theme of the event and like the the aether lab like leviathans like legends you know we want them to bring a model to represent something because that then means they don't have to focus on 2000 points of army they are focusing on a model and every player who comes to the event has the time and the ability to put something together for that one model um and so for leviathans which you're showing there they were the sketches that we did for the leviathans but we asked the players to bring a leviathan which they had to then capture and we gave them a base size so i think it was the um it's a large oval it was yeah large oval base your Leviathan can be a monster of any type. You can kit bash it. You can use a model to represent it. You can do what you want, you, you know, um, create a model to represent a Leviathan. Obviously, they can then theme it to their army. So, you know, um, uh, you know it could have been a giant for destruction with platforms on it or whatever you fancy. Um, but that's your Leviathan. You've got to capture that at the event. And so we, 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 hook line and sinkered the players into thinking that they were bringing leviathans to our event leviathans but what you can see there are sketches of the leviathans and i think the one on the left the, the sand genie you can see a little model uh, to the right of him which is representing a, i don't know a, a liberator or whatever that was a leviathan and and we then created these enormous uh, leviathans realm beasts if you like 
Um, and on the when everyone went home on the Saturday night, we then cleared the realms, plonked our Leviathans on the table, rearranged the realms. Uh, and when the players came in on the Sunday morning, they were like, oh, my, what is going And people's faces were just like. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Because we had these enormous monsters that they all then had to band together to fight against. The, well, you say you say everyone's jaws dropped. Wasn't there one person that came in and didn't notice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was Chris Tomlin, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, and, and, over. And, and, and from the photos, like when, when we talk about large here, we, we are talking uh, crazy big, uh, at least two feet by two feet. Like they were, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think Pro the, proper the, size, like armies on parade board size thing. The, yeah, yeah. So the, the the realm of beasts had the rock monster, and its mouth was a realm gate. So if you imagine the size of a realm gate with then a, a head around it, and then the body and the four legs, it was yeah, about four foot square, I think. <laughs> with all of this discussion, I guess you know the, the the point that I probably want to make to anyone who's listening to this and thinking about you know a narrative event is it doesn't have to be as crazy as we're making it sound, but. What I want to highlight here is you can really unlock your creativity and your potential and not be kind of strung to, you know, this 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 box of match play. And I love match play. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it, you know. But you don't have to use 18 scenarios. It can be as simple as finding some of the battle plans that are currently sitting in your battle tomes. And every battle tome has one scenario. Why not bring that to the life and tell a story? I know I played in an event a few years ago, uh, Sydney Slaughter, um, Chris Welfare and James Mabry from the Mortally Wounded podcast. They, they'd they actually stitched together five of those scenarios, uh, made some minor tweaks, and it was all about the, the chaos intervention. And really, you know, one of them was the Crystal – one of my favourite games was the Crystal Labyrinth where basically the, the six by four was split up into two feet by two feet blocks. And there was little doors that connected each of the boxes. It was literally meant to be Zench's Crystal Labyrinth. And there was little realm gates that you would jump through to kind of move through the boxes. You could only shoot what was in the box. You'd only cast spells at what was in your box. And you're jumping around and, you know, you could shoot through the portal. Sometimes it would shoot back at you. Uh, and I played against Lee and Burnett Blue and his Sylvaneth. And it was just absolutely crazy. Uh, told some really cool stories. And then there was another game where I played... Uh, it was more of a corn arena where there's like a little arena in the center. I played Ash McEwen and his iron jaws at the time. And if you cast magic or you shot near the, the temple, corn uh, would actually smite you and actually would do some mortal wounds and actually hurt you because we know corn doesn't like shooting. Corn doesn't like magic. Uh, he wants to favor the people who get in the center and actually just beat the crap out of each other. So, there's a lot of cool stories you can tell, and it kind of ties into what I referred to earlier from Laura, where Laura had said, you know, when you're thinking about designing your narrative event, how much do you worry about making, you know, sure that armies have their own law hook for that event? You know, is that important or is that something that you allow people to kind of develop along the way or at all? So way we deal with it is we try, we mentioned it earlier, we try to have quite a wide-ranging framework uh, is how we set out raw um every raw is started with a simple idea a really simple idea whether it be an upgradable hero upgradable monster um alchemy um or, or just some political machinations um it's relatively simple and then we just design the battle plans we think about what's what what would happen so leviathan is actually a really good example um in the okay we want to make an upgradable monster how would you do it well first of all you got to capture a monster then you want to train the monster 
Then you want to get the monsters to fight each other, and then there's a the big surprise with the big monsters that people didn't know about. So the battle plans we had on the first day were literally that. It's like the first one is go and capture your Leviathan. Um, then the second one would be you've got to train it somehow. And the third one, um, the training, actually, the training one was really good. We called, I think we called that the race. And both yeah. players started on the same side as, of, the, of the board and had to get to the other side first of all. But they're literally running alongside each other and they're trying to fight each other. <laughs> they're yeah. elbowing themselves along the way as they're trying to get to the... Yeah, absolute, absolute madness. It's just thinking like that. But all those things aren't prescriptive to each player's um, storyline if they want to have their own. That They can still do that within it. We're, we're not... There's, there's this, this wide-ranging story, but within it, they can do whatever they like. And, and we're, we're quite happy with that. You know, as we said earlier, that's the whole idea. We're, we're giving people, as you said, a sandbox to tell their own story if they want to, or they can join in with ours. I think, I think the key thing also that we should point out is that there should be absolutely no nervousness about attending a narrative event, right? You, you, because, you know, we, we put up, a, a, we spend an awful lot of time you know, trying to promote the event online and building up a pre-event, you know, trying to whip people into a frenzy and, and get people on board with what we're doing. Um, and try and, and that's in a way to get people's creative juices going who are coming to the event. We're, we're giving them snippets of story as, as we're uh, approaching the event and trying to give them the ability to then draw that story into their own army and i think the other thing that we do is we obviously there's there's an incredible array of um talent um and model making ability and and uh, kit bashing ability and painting ability we have a huge spectrum of hobby ability at the events and nobody should ever come to a narrative event feeling like they're in, you know inferior to anyone else or feel threatened by the fact that i've had to create a leviathan or i've had to create a hero but at the end of the day it's your hobby you put in as much time and effort and energy into your hobby as you want and you're not going to be in any way shape or form overshadowed by other people at the event everyone there is there for the same purpose they've all got the same mindset and they're there to have fun basically so i, I think don't ever think that just because it's a narrative event and because i don't uh, play D and D, or don't come from a role play environment background, um, that you're not going to fit in. It's Age of Sigma. It's just had some of the rules taken away, so that you're playing it in a slightly different way. But it's still Age of Sigma. And you can you can uh, stretch the narrative as much as you want, right? Um, at my at my tournament, my match play tournament, I provide one tournament point if you name your characters on your army list. So in Australia, uh, it is customary that people submit their army list to the tournament organizer two weeks in advance. Uh, so we can check the lists and we can do all that stuff, publish them all in advance. But I will actually reward them one tournament point for naming all of their characters. And there has been some crazy cool character names that have been brought to me. Uh, Daughters of Cain, uh, who, who have named all of their hag queens over um, uh, American rap um rap singers right you know like queen latifah and you know cardi b and all that stuff right that was literally all their hag queens i had this one skaven player who literally gave me about a quarter of a page for this person's name this one is like skaven rat blah 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 it just went on forever um and and, and but it can be as simple as that um I've seen other events where people will actually write up their own little battle reports in on behalf of the, the tournament, the tournament, uh, the the general. 
So you can kind of unlock that stuff. It could be having just having uh, little floating islands. I know Dark Fantastic Mills, or you could make it with foam. You could actually do that and just create some different spaces to play in or the realm gates. Again, you can create this and stretch this as much as you want, or you could go completely into your own narrative. I think um, uh, match play players won't like this. Ma match play, in my opinion, is is easy play. Um, it's, it is, you know, you, you sit there, you've got your points. If someone says, let's play a 2000 point game, we'll use one of the match play battle plans. You know immediately how big the army you're having is, how big the army that your opponent's having, what's likely to be in it, to be honest, if you're pretty competitive, and you know exactly how the battle plan works. So you can rock up the table, you can go up to someone you, you've never met before in your life and you know exactly what you're doing. Narrative play involves a bit more um, interaction with your 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 opponent, your your co-player, however you want to refer to them. Uh, so you have... have I like co-player, by the way. I, I yeah. like that because the, the, the opponent is, you know, it's an arm wrestle. Someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. But actually, I, it's a shared story. Exactly. I, I really like it too. And, and that, that does reflect more on narrative play. You do have a co-player. You're both telling a story in somehow. Uh, and you do have a lot more interaction with the, the person on the other side of the table or something on the same side of the table as, as you, um, which which to me actually is one of the reasons why we get pretty much everyone staying on the Saturday night is because they're, they're all talking. They're all, everyone's making friends, you know, uh, as you know, a lot of people that know each other from the scene anyway, but we do get new people every year and, and uh, who have never been to an event. And they dive straight on in because they're having that interaction with people the whole time. It really engenders a community within the event itself. Um, it wouldn't surprise me one day if the whole lot of them all turn on turn on us in the event and throw some story back at the four of us and just completely go mental. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yes. I love I, it. I, 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 I would actually, I could see that happening, right? They're just like, no, we don't accept this and we're actually going to do this. <laughs> Which is I'm, great, I'm actually surprised it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I think Jimbo's absolutely right. We 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 tend to find that if people have come to us for the first time, um, there's a little bit of nervousness when they first arrive. Um, but literally within five minutes of game one, it's it's Age of Sigma. You, you there is much more social interaction. I would say at a narrative event. Uh, don't get me wrong. Every game of Age of Sigmar for me is a social interaction. I want 100% my co-player to have an enjoyable game, um, you know, uh, and and that's the entire my entire uh, the you know um, outlook on on gaming. It is gaming, and I want to have a sociable, fun experience with my opponent. Um, but that that nervousness is lost immediately, um, and and I think that that is. Uh, that's a that's a, a testament to the community as a whole, frankly, because um, we have um, we have male, we have female, we have all uh, you know. Uh, we, it, everyone just turns up and has fun, you know. Yeah, Chuck and, Moore's. And, and everybody Chuck's. is welcoming, um, and and even even when Chuck Moore is dressed as a hag queen, um, you know. <laughs> Tay Rathy, come on, Tay Rathy. Tay Rathy, absolutely. I'm not going to yuck his yum, but like that was. Uh... <laughs> There was some scrubbing of the eyes for uh, a set period of time after that. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing. You know, we we've we traditionally held our event over the Halloween weekend. So when we did the first one, it was like it's Halloween weekend, guys. You know, let's have fun. If you want to come dressed up, come dressed up. Um, do what you like. And some players took it to the extreme, dialed it up to eleven. Um, ben Mardle turning up as an Arknaut one year was <laughs> epic, uh, and he actually won the best costume award for that that year. 
Uh, he even had the floating balloon. It, it was I think he's a rigger. Yeah, he was a rigger. Yeah. Oh, sorry, not That's an archaeologist. Amazing. Rigger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I dressed up as a necromancer once. I, I went to an event as a necromancer with my legion of of uh, Nagash. That was a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. But it, but it's not a prerequisite. So you don't have to feel threatened by it. You don't have to feel awkward about it. You can just come and and laugh at those that do it. <laughs> or and and what we typically find is people you know don't do it one year but the next year they're like all in right you know I i'm going fully dressed up as whatever um yeah I, I think going back to chuck yeah he walked into the room dressed as tay rathy and you gotta think he he'd obviously come over from america with his wife his wife his wife was there with, with him as well she's awesome um he walked into a room of people he'd never met before there were 40 of us in there well, he met me and mitzi and that was it 40 people dressed up in that outfit i <laughs> He feels comfortable enough to do that. That's that's pretty impressive, I think. That's, that's some good dedication. And then we yeah. also had Paul Paul Buckler. He did um, uh, what did he do? Dressed as Dorothy. Dorothy, that was it. Yes, yeah, dressed as Dorothy. I mean, that was a horrific image as well. That, 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 was, when, that was when we did the uh, the war bands, wasn't it? Uh, the war yeah. bands, uh, and players had to bring a, a selection of individual models, and he themed his entire uh war, war band around um yeah around the wizard of oz characters yeah so he, he pitched up as dorothy oh look at chuck. oh there's chuck yeah, oh I, I had to bring it up i had to bring it up and uh <laughs> chuck chuck had absolute fun uh again you know i think what we're showing here is just the testament of the environment that you create that people can have fun and they can dress up like that Arcanaut, like a necromancer. They can bring some cosplay weapons. They can dress up like Marathi, Tayrathi, uh, which is Chuck. If, if anyone wants to hear about Chuck, I think I had Chuck uh, on, on an episode about six months ago talking about personal narrative and kind of seeing the evolution of his character, creating one hag queen that eventually become a rival to Morathi uh, based on Taylor Swift becoming Tayrathi. And he, the, the story has grown exponentially over years as he's had more battles, as he's dug more into the lore, he's created this crazy timeline. And it all started with a small little fire, which was a narrative fire. And by telling stories, again, as a player, uh, you asked Chuck about Tay Rathi. If you look at Chuck's uh, Twitter handle or Twitter profile, you'll just see some amazing, crazy hobby. And, you know, he, he's not running Hagnar. He's running Craith, uh, which, you know, he best represents his his um, his temple. But uh, he's so passionate about it. And I think for me as, a, as an event organiser, it helps me unlock those stories. I think that's the role that I play is unlocking people's stories and then seeing them grow over time, either within my own event or six months, 12 months, five years from now, people will probably still tell the story about Tay Rathi. will still tell the story about, as I mentioned three years ago from my battle against Lee and Burnett Blue in uh, the Crystal Labyrinth. But if you ask me about my five or six games at CanCon three years ago, I'd struggle. I would struggle. I'm like, oh, I might have played this. I remember, the, I remember that one player, Michael Thompson, who who um, uh, curse of years my whole swordsman unit. But other than that, I, I forget everything from CanCon 2018. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, and I think that's the other thing is that we've we have players who who came to Legends, um, who you know played someone they. And, and they then created that story over that weekend um, and outside of the overarching story the following year they're back there's a there's a vendetta against that player so that 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 story has 
continued and we've got players there who've got like four years worth of story and history and they bring the same characters back each year and just evolve them uh, and then take them also out into you know um, match play events uh, they still refer to them as Tayrathi they still refer to them as the named character that they've got um, and and they're using them on the on the table, and someone will say, "Well, why why are they called Tayrathi?" Oh, well, because blah 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 blah. How, how, how does that make you feel as an event organizer who's helped contribute to that story? Uh, you asking me? I think it's I think it's amazing. I, I I love the fact that we've we've pulled together forty players and we've thrown them into this sandpit, and they've then taken up they've taken it run and and have developed it themselves and and you know we've we've got players like phil um and charles um uh, who are now running they came last year uh and they're now running their own narrative event um in the new year which jimbo myself and steve are going to um and forgive me my brain has just gone completely dead and i've forgotten the name of it whitney warhammer one Whitney Warhammer One. There you go, Jimbo. I knew he'd be the man with the his finger on the pulse. He's got um, your back. He's got your back. Um, and and they've you know they've really embraced it, and they they now play narrative. And Steve, to be fair, has has developed a little narrative gaming group in Oxford, and they're really embracing it and 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 taking it forward. And and for me, that's that's ultimately what we want. Yeah, we 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 did Raw because we wanted to put on an event that the four of us would want to go to and play at. And what we're really trying to do is say that this is this is how narrative works. This is the fun you can have doing it. This is these are the the, the law hooks that you can tap into and develop with your own army, armies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we're hoping one day that you know we're going to Whitney Warhammer because we know that the guys there have fully embraced narrative, and hopefully we're gonna you know experience the other end of it uh, and and actually go and play in it and enjoy playing in it, which is which is amazing. That's what we set out to do. Yeah. At that, at that point, I'd also like to uh, give some credit to the Angel Wargamers crew, who in yep. 2018 uh, put on a, a day's worth of gaming using uh, our raw battle plans for us to play in. So uh, Ming, Steve, Mitzi and I went along and, and played played our battle plans with those guys. And they put some twists in as well. So we didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, that was awesome. We really appreciated that. So no, that's, that's awesome. And you do see, you know, you do see, how the the fire has spread across the world you know nova for example in, in america i know aaron bossian and all all of that crew uh they absolutely love their narrative gaming and you can kind of start to see it kind of uh really grow so i guess i want to ask some to like, event organizer questions like i keep saying tournament it's event we are talking events here um so martin olena who had asked you know in advance he had asked me um how do you create an incentive for more casual event goers to contribute to that narrative experience. So I guess, you know, and this kind of follows along the theme that we're talking about here. Not everybody wants to write a book um, about their experience, but everyone wants to dress up in costume, but how, how can a more casual player get involved in a narrative event and contribute to that story? I think a lot of the things. Yeah, I think a lot of things we've already talked about kind of kind of cover that. To be honest, um, with Raw, as we said, we're very very open on our framework. People can dive in as much or as little as they like. I think um, one of the the tricks we always have is we ask people to custom build their own uh, model to to represent something, which we'll make a war scroll for, and they bring it along. And that process of them building that character invest they invest into it and they'll have some attachment to that which they wouldn't have they'd go and buy a standard whatever hero 
straight from GW and build it. Yeah, it's not the same. So I think little things like that really help. Um, it's not complicated. You mentioned naming a general. I mean, that's talked about. I probably laughed about quite a lot, to be honest, of people saying name a general. It works. It really does. You know, that's how Tayrati started at the end of the day. And look at the monster that's become. So. <laughs> a, but there's so many cool name generators out there now. And um, is it Jamie the Jasper? Uh, yeah. I hope I got that right. He's created so many cool name generators. There are name generators in books. Um, I always you know, generate a name, but then I write it down and I document it. So whenever I come back to that hero, uh, you know, for example, in my Cities of Sigma, if I've got a battle mage, right, and there are eight different varieties of battle mage, when I have a life battle mage, I call it something. If I've got something else, I call it something different. And I try to bring a different model to represent the battle mage because, I mean, this generic battle mage shouldn't be jumping between all eight laws. Um, it sh you know, I should have a name and a story. Uh, and that's one thing I really enjoyed about CanCon this year, 2020, was that Clint had based it in Gairan, and it was all about the Jade Kingdom. And despite it being a six-game match tournament, match play tournament, I was able to tell a story and actually think about what what was my army bringing to the table. And I brought a Hello Heart army, and this is a personal story for me. But it was a Hello Heart army that was going in, trying to almost like a research party, trying to find artifacts of power in Gairan, bring it back to Hello Heart to study, and. Um, I could tell an opponent my story. I could write it down as a little document or it was just something for myself. But either way, when I played the game, I enjoyed it a lot more because not only was I getting a win or a loss, but I was advancing that narrative uh, for myself. And uh, I, I think I felt more fulfilled as a player than going in and just being dry cut, going for the 5-0 and o or the 4-1. and one. I think also from an event organizer's point of view, during the event itself, you've, you've got to be flexible as well. You might have your storyline there, but if players want to do their own thing, that's absolutely fine. And 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 also recognize, uh, and I, I think we'll probably come to this later on, but there can be disparities in army strength um, and having an understanding of, of the game, actually how the mechanics of it work and, and, and noticing when there could be um, uh, potential um, I say whitewashes is probably a good thing, to, you know, when someone just steamrolls someone else, uh, not, not not necessarily intentionally, but recognizing that and then be able to um, give some of those in-game boons or, or hexes that we mentioned earlier. You, know, you talked about the bad moon or something like that. Just just being able to understand that. And so I think narrative event organizers need to be really involved and walking around the tables as we do to really understand what's going on and, and try and um, help people. I say help people. That's not quite right. Um, Make make sure people have the have the um, space to be able to do what they want to do. Yeah, I think that's I, really I important. Think, I, th I think to 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 um, uh, sort of continue that on a little bit. What what one one of the things that we found quite helpful when we ran uh, Legends right at the beginning was that we knew um, when the players all signed up, we knew that we had some really strong players coming from Angel War Gamers who were. Um, through and through RPG players, dungeon masters. They've all had a lot of experience in playing role-playing games and other gaming systems. And we actually identified quite quickly that they were amongst the realms, uh, you know, they were playing as individuals, but amongst the realms as we were walking around and interacting with the tables, we recognized quite quickly that they were helping tell stories on the tables and the realms that they were in and they were involving the other players around them because they have that natural ability to tell stories and to role play and interact 
in that way. So if you're an event organizer, a narrative event organizer, or a, a maybe want to be a narrative event organizer, you don't have to do it alone. You know, you will know people in your community who are really strong role players, who are really strong cosplayers, who are really strong terrain makers, who are really strong whatever. And it's about tapping into those resources, maybe ahead of the event, uh, or saying to them, you know, on day one, you know, before they arrive, you know, I'd really like you to help me with do just try and achieve this one thing, you know, try and get those three players who've never played at a narrative event before to, you know, come on board with you and maybe, you know, maybe ask them to create a little rift or something that, uh, but include those three players who are new in that storyline and, and, you know, drag them in, you know, and I, and I think, Every wargaming community has those strong leaders, if you like, who you can tap into. You know them. You know them in your own gaming community. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's great advice, and it kind of comes into what Christine uh, Hookinpin had asked me previously. Uh, I did ask this to to Twitter, and Twitter had given me a whole bunch of really cool questions. But Christine had asked, you know, um, how do you encourage newer players to a narrative style event? Um, she also asked if you are all doing well um, and you're all looking glorious and beautiful. Uh, I added that, but... Uh, Thank but, you, Christine. Yes, we are We are all well, all of us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but how do you encourage a new player? Like, um, how do, is it like a refer-a-friend scheme, like come in? Or like how do you unlock someone who hasn't really had much narrative um, experience or even... Because a lot of like... I, I know from my community, right, in Sydney, Australia... There is no real space that creates narrative events other than what I do and what kind of the mortally wounded crew do. They kind of do this half-blended narrative, half-match play. It's kind of like hybrid game, but but I don't know. I don't really know any clubs who are playing narrative. I don't really know anyone uh, who are who are dropping match play points. It's traditional 2K. I go to my game store. I go to my games club. It's very... That's the world that I live in. How do I how do I break some of those shackles, or how do I bring that newer player to kind of dip their toes in that narrative space, as Christine is kind of talking about? Well, well, sorry, Metsy, I'll dive in. Um, well, we we use we use points for raw because it makes it easy for people coming to an event to to understand kind of the kind of game they're going to have. So I don't um, know, I don't have, I don't have to throw over points. Like I don't have to like yeah, literally go. No, oh, it's not match play. No, not. Throw it out the window. To be, to be honest, if you're doing an event, a narrative event, I think you still have to use points because how do you get people to understand what kind of game they're playing? And you can't really do that. If you're doing a one-on-one or you know down a club or whatever, you can have a chat beforehand with your with whoever you're playing, with your co-players, and say, right, let's have this kind of a game. You set out the parameters, and then you can bring whatever you like. That's fine. You can't do that at, a, at an organized event because the players just can't talk to each other. You can't talk to 40 other players. Don't know yeah. other players, whatever. And they're going to bring their whole collection so, as well, right? Like they're going to bring 5,000 oh. points just in case. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's just logistically a nightmare. So that's where points are really handy. That's where match play, you know, that's the match play element or part of the match play element we have at Raw, which is fine. But um, I think to encourage newer players, the, the biggest thing is enthusiasm. If you show a lot of enthusiasm, if you, if you start showing it off what you're doing, people will join in. And that's what we've done. Um, you know, yeah, I, would, I, would also, I would also suggest that, you know, try try to amongst your gaming group right so you, you've all everyone's got a, a small gaming group some some people have very large gaming groups and they play routinely regularly obviously outside of these current times uh, but you you tend to find that clubs are omnipresent and people are going there all the time try something new 
try saying to everybody there or to your three mates or to your four mates, let's do a tale of four wargamers. Let's mm. start. Let's all go out, buy a blister pack hero, paint that hero or convert that hero, uh, paint it up and then do Path to Glory. Do, you know, take step outside of your current uh, hobby setting and go and with three mates, try to create a new army, but try to, you know, uh, pick a clamshell, convert it up, name that hero and develop a narrative from that point. It becomes very, it, it becomes a snowball. Once you start, that snowball starts plummeting downhill real quick. And you could do it over a period of six months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever, you know, once a month. You know, the, the guys uh, down at um, um, the Dorset uh, Dorset Doggers Club, you know, so Paul Buckler, Chris Tomlin, um, uh, Matt Lyons and Aaron uh, Bailey, they've done the, the um, I can never remember the name of it, but their, their tale of four warlords, if you like, or four, four wargamers, they've done two now. And they've all four of them stepped up their hobby game. They've encouraged each other to to develop new armies, and and they've all got a narrative to them. Um, and it's just as can be as simple as that. And once you've got that, um, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. You always want to do it. Once you've done it once, yeah. you always want to do it. I know, I know some really cool ones that I've been inspired by. So um, Domus over in America, who runs uh, Midwest Meltdown, uh, is now taking over Adepticon as of next year. But one of the cool things for Midwest Meltdown is he's always had this monster of Gur. Um, so that was a last year theme, and everyone got to bring in a free monster. Uh, and Domus had set the uh, the War Scroll, so he made a custom War Scroll for that monster of Gur. But let people go to town and go, look, as long as it's base size between X and Y, do what do you want? You want to go buy a hero clicks um, uh, beholder? You want to go use a beholder? Cool. Go buy something completely outside of Age of Sigma. You want to run a cockatrice? Go run a cockatrice. If you want to kit bash your own thing and bring a, gar a gargan and a gorgon parts and you know make some type of monster, you do you. And I think that type of concept and what I'm tapping into for my uh, allure of the beast grave is um, I'm trying to do that through. Um, Anvils of Apotheosis, where I've said, look, guys, day one is a 1,000 points. Day two is 1,500 points. Um, I've removed battle line restrictions. So um, I've said, hey, guys, you don't have to have battle line restrictions. Just make your army. And you get two heroes for free. They're both worth tw uh, 20 A uh, Anvils points. And in day two, your general gets supercharged. So he'll go from 20 to 40. So he kind of evolves over the battle. So basically, I'm giving them their general and they're two IC. I imagine as they go to Beast Grave, they're going to have some type of wizard or general or some type of uh, advisor that supports them. I want them to kind of progress that narrative, and they can either think about uh, what that what that evolution looks like and model it, or on the day they might go, look, I've had some really cool battles. I want to pick these additional traits because of what I've experienced over day one. Yeah, I, I think just rounding off um, that that question from Christine for me as well is is just to, there is a massive resource out there on the interwebs uh, of people who are in this hobby. There is not one single person that I know of who, if you sent them a DM and said, um, "I'm thinking about doing this or I'd like to get involved in that," how how could I do that? Yeah, I, I would just say reach out. Talk to the people that you see out in the community posting a lot. Talk to all the hobbyists out there. You know, it may be you, you, you've you never done a kit bash before. Talk, talk to Ricky Smith. That man is a, a genius. 
Yeah. Talk, talk to Steve Foote. You know, the, the, these people will never not answer a question. And they are there in to, you know, they're there because that's the world in which they live. But ultimately, they're there. You know, they're inspirations. Every, people look at what they churn out and it's like, oh, my word, how am I going to achieve that? I'm going to go and buy a Gargan and, a, you know, a, um, you know, a land boat or whatever and turn it into something spectacular. That's just come into my head. I, I think that might have to be something I do. But, trademark, um, trademark, 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 BT. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but but talk to the community because there, there there is a vast wealth of knowledge out there and people are prepared to share their wealth and experience. Not their wealth, their experience and their knowledge. <laughs> Some of them are prepared to share their wealth as well. I mean, Anthony's created his own currency. So. So, sign me up to this wealth, this wealth generation. Um, I was, I was going to ask you what the exchange rate's like for your, for your Sigma pounds. Uh, uh, I, 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 no comment. Uh, I'll send you some. I'll send you some, but. Uh, one one question that Darren Watson had shared, um, and Darren Watson is a, a, a beautifully minded, very competitive focused uh, player. Not that he's restricted in that world, but he is, you know, very much a competitive player. And one thing uh, he asked a really good question to me, and that was, what are those lessons that can be learnt uh, playing narrative games for a competitive player? So. Uh, and maybe this is a Jimbo question, being that you are a bit more competitively minded. Not that Mitzi's not a competitive minded player, but Jimbo is certainly more. But, uh, you know, Jimbo, from your experience playing narrative, and I guess this might be also the hook to introduce competitive players to narrative players if you're trying to sell it to a community or a games club. Like, what, what, what can I learn? I, th I think it goes back to something we were talking about earlier again. Um, and that you, you have to have that interaction with your co-player on the other side of the table a lot more I, I just think it engenders a much more fun game whether it's narrative or match play you know if you're having a good combo and a good laugh with the person opposite you whether you're smashing them up in, in full-on match play environment table five uh, table one game five or if you're having a narrative game and you're both sitting there trying to tell a story I, I think that's that's phenomenal I mean, at the end of the day this is something we do for fun this is not something we all do to make a living out of it, unfortunately, as much as we'd all like to. Some people can, but most of us can't. Um, we do it for fun. It's what we do in our spare time. This is this is what we enjoy. So let's enjoy it. It's a hobby. Mm. I was actually speaking to Darren yesterday, um, following on from his uh, goat-related. I was going to say all the goats, all the goats <laughs> eating his bushes, but no, the grass. <laughs> that 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 was one of the funniest days on Twitter, following the feral hogs thing. But it was hilarious. And I was chatting to Darren and. Um, he, he's always wanted to come to Raw. I've spoken to him many times about it, but he's always felt a little bit, um, I wouldn't say intimidated, but worried that he wouldn't fit in, given that he's a very strong match play player. He's, he's a very, very good player. And I've always said, come along, come along, come along. It hasn't worked out for one reason or another. Um, but he's looking at um, uh, Gargans and, and Gotrek at the moment. You know, he loves his Gotrek, doesn't he? But he's like, I can't bring Gotrek to Raw. And I was like, well, look at that anvil of apotheosis. Make your own little, little what trek. Make, it, make a what trek. And, uh, and you can bring Make him, Felix. So. Make Felix. Yeah. So, 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 and he was like, yeah, that's brilliant. So he's going to go and have a look at that, and hopefully we'll see him at Raw soon. So there's a way for everyone to join in a little bit. Well, that actually ties me into a question from Ricky Smith, actually. And Ricky had asked, how do you reconcile the fact that for some armies, the most narrative list can occasionally be the most overpowered one? Uh, you referred to eels before, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like for some narrative games, you know, we have this consensus or there's this, like, uh, I guess, agreement that we're not going to run the most broken match play. Cha I'm not bringing a change host, for example, um, to a narrative event. Like, how do you how do you manage that as as, a, as an event organizer 
to ensure that people are having a good time to, to but then also to be narrative and like like what's some advice that you would have is it the way you communicate with your players or maybe what you put in the players pack do you even tell people like no change host no uh no no 50 salamanders no I, I think I think for us it's very simple. Jimbo hates balance. Um, we we do not balance games. We will quite often have maybe two players playing against one player. We might have you know one player with two you know fifteen hundred points and two players with I don't know thousand points each, so that there's a slight imbalance. Uh, there might be restrictions in the battle plan about what you can and can't do. Uh, there's a way to there's a way that a, a narrative event organizer can write or or borrow scenarios from the plethora that are available um, to basically uh, uh, um, ensure that games are still enjoyable. Uh, yeah, you might have 18 eels on the table, but the restrictions in the battle plan may mean that. Um, they're not as effective or you've actually got two armies that you've got to take on. So, so how are those 18 eels going to deal with two armies? So I, I, I think uh, in short, it, it's down to, you know, borrowing from the existing community battle plans, etc., to make sure that, that, that ultimately you're challenging the player to play to the scenario and to play to the story and to develop what they're doing in short. And Jimbo will add to that because I've, I've not summed that up correctly. No, I think I think that's, that's that's good. But also add on top of it, uh, in, same as match play. Actually, you've got to trust your players. In match play, you trust your players to to play their army rules correctly. You know, I, I don't know the rules for every single army. If someone does something on the on the on the tabletop, I'll go fine. That's what you're telling me that it does. I'll, I'll roll with it. That's fine. Unless I know something is blatantly not true. This has got a one up save that's unrendable. For the entire, you know, you trust your players. And it's the same with narrative. You trust your players to do stuff and and and. That they'll do it. I think it's pretty obvious to most people if you turn up with 24 eels and something or other, you know, and a hero to a narrative event, it's not really going to make for fun games for you or your, or whoever you're playing against at the end of the day, um, whether it be narrative or not. I mean, chuck a few eels in, fine. You can have powerful units. As I said earlier, there's no problem with having powerful units. That's, that's fine. And again, uh, we talked about earlier about having the event organizers walking on the tables, having a look in and what's going on and understanding the game and, and there's a lot of, i mean over the years there's a lot of people using narrative actually as a um as, as an insult of, of saying oh that that's really narrative the idea being is it's rubbish and the person doing it doesn't know what they're doing if someone's a narrative player they're clueless i think it's quite the opposite i think you actually have to have a massive not massive it's not fair a, a good understanding of the game to be able to work out and said earlier where where those imbalances lie and i mentioned the word imbalances there um my my dislike of balance, uh, my dislike of true balance. Uh, you're never going to balance everything, and what's the fun in that? You know, some armies are stronger than others, and they should be. If and you it can also be setting, like right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for, I think for me, it's more like setting the scene as an event organizer. It's letting people know that there might be situations where it might be two on one. There might be situations where me, as the 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 event organizer, may intervene. I may do something. I may challenge you. I may tell you to do something. Uh, this is not match play. This is not just one-on-one, 2K versus 2K. It's, you know, a set set of rules. Um, and it reminds me a lot of my my dungeon master, Chris, who, you know, if I build a super tanky Goliath barbarian who's just absolutely like, you know, strength 20, I've actually, you know, kitted out to the nines, 
he's not going to run a campaign as they document it in uh, in D&D. He might look at the, the, the scenario and go, look, well, this character is supercharged. He's going to easily defeat these kobolds. I'm going to buff it up with either more kobolds. I'm going to make them have a kobold hero in there. He's going to try to find a way to intervene so that it's still a challenge for that opponent uh, for me. So I guess, again, this kind of comes back to your divine intervention, your creativity, uh, maybe the restrictions, whether, as you guys mentioned, a uh, lot more terrain on the table, whether it is going to be a couple of extra re-rolls or a debuff. Uh, obviously, you're not out there kind of harassing this one player, but there are ways that you can create a cool, interesting narrative. Uh, or you might say to them, look, you know, you, you know, there's a chance that some of these reinforcements aren't going to arrive, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've never had to have a word with any player at Raw, uh, if I'm honest. And, you know, some people bring stronger armies than others, and that's fine, and we roll with it. Um, yeah, so, so that, which, which is fantastic for us. Um, but if we, if we had to, we would, have, we, would have, we would speak to someone if we had to. Jonathan B raised a really good question as well. He said, uh, with the stories generated from the battles and events that have happened, uh, do you write up some form of mini novel at the end to give all the players? So we've got two, I'd say there's two kind of elements to this. Um, the first one, the first two roars, we asked our players um, before the event to actually send in their backstories to their armies. Um, it wasn't mandatory. It wasn't a benefit for them but most people did and we actually bound them into a, a book and printed that out and gave that to the players at the start of every event and i think they're both online somewhere as well actually yeah i remember um, i remember seeing it somewhere mm, I, I, yeah. yeah which we thought i thought was really nice um it's quite a lot of work so we haven't done it for the last couple if i'm honest um but the other thing is we have had players that have written their own novels and i'm referring to uh, dan summerbell um who who wrote up his uh, erinost um background uh, into an actual I printed, that. I mean, and, and then he gave it. I remember uh, seeing it like it was a literally published book. Yeah, he bought them to hand them out to every player at the event. Yeah, uh, they were free to every player. I think he posted them around the world as well to, to people. Yeah, I, I saw him posting around the world and I'm like, what? Just, that's amazing. And um, it's, it's a really good read, really good read. And it is, again, it is the story of his battles at Raw. And I'm reading through it going, I remember watching him do that and rolling those dice. That's really weird. <laughs> but, yeah. you know. uh, again, that, that's that's the extremes. That's the extremes that, that we have um, that, that we have found players at Raw go to. Yeah. So in year one, yeah, please send us the backstory behind your army. In year four, we have players writing novels about their army and the battles that they've had at Raw. Uh, and so I, I suppose that is, but, but that isn't, again, that is not something that every person who goes to a narrative event is expected to do. You know, it's up to the individual to take on as much or as little of it as they want and participate as much or as little as they want. But generally, as I said earlier, we find people come nervously to the event and blossom into, you know, uh, storytelling genii uh, that, that are fully invested, fully involved and have signed up the second tickets go on sale for the next one. And they then have a, an idea and a realis- realisation as to what they're going to do. And they pre-plan their army for the previous, the following year and stuff like that. It's creating the space, I think, mean, as an event organiser. And again, I keep coming back to, you know, maybe some of the lessons that an event organiser should be considering is, how do I create the space to allow a player to tell a story? How do I create the space that when a player meets a new player for the first time, it's not a battle, but rather a cooperative story 
between two players and how can they almost dance? It's almost like a Warhammer dance as opposed to an arm wrestle. And how do you foster that through collaboration? Uh, the question that Chuck Moore kind of shared with me, which was how do you plan out ways to engage your players um, and the narrative itself? Like how do you, like where, how do you drop those seeds? How do you progress story? How do you kind of almost, I don't want to say force, force things, but, you know, are there ways you can kind of pre-plan or create players to, to form, progress, develop, the narrative or the event narrative i think it's for us it's the advertising we do before each event uh, which again we, we we are have we're very lucky to have steve on board uh, in that he can produce those videos you saw earlier but also the posters that you put up um uh, just absolutely phenomenal and we just we just batter twitter frankly it's twitter 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 chuck loads of stuff out there um one, one thing i thought worked really well actually was again for eighth of me uh, you may have seen some of the pictures earlier, the background there, those kind of like brownie kind of colored posters. And they were they were custom designed and, and written posters. Um, after people have sent in their, yeah, these ones here, uh, after people have sent in a little background on their army, uh, again, it, it was only like a couple of lines and we just turned them into, into posters. Again, all in a bit of um, tongue in cheek. So Gloam Fall Meyer, I think is, um, John oh, Green's. John, yeah, it's John Green's. Yeah, John John Green's army. It's based on him. Uh, I talked about the Atheroin earlier. That's there. And again, going back to um, Leviathans, you can just see Steve's just uh, done a bit of photoshopping, and uh, we did the that as the a movie posters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we did it as a movie. So um, yeah, it was, it was all, all sold as a movie just for just for giggles. So it's just the way we just try to promote it. That that works really well. Again, the kind of level we go to is pretty high on that but um <laughs> just just enthusiasm it goes back to enthusiasm i think if you're enthusiastic about something and just keep keep going on about it people will join in and you will have some people that turn up and they they don't get it they don't enjoy it fine they've given it a go you can't complain at that if it's not for them perfectly fine um but the vast majority of people will, will, will roll with what you do and they're up for it i mean we have every year we've had match play play testers come along and they come back every year so it's not an exclusive I'm narrative, I'm match play. It's not. It's, it goes back to that triangle I was talking about earlier. There's everyone's playing any part of that triangle. It's a Venn diagram. It's, there's, everyone's got a little everyone's got a little center and uh and you know, sometimes it's just fire. Uh, you know, Rick, Ricky Smith has summarized it here perfectly, saying, uh, you are facilitating hobby greatness. You're not expecting uh it's not expected but uh inspired and i think it's those little moments of 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 um of inspiration whether it's in your marketing where it's like oh athemy oh what does a what does my athemist look like and you know creating a space there but if it's not if i don't have an idea yet i get in there and i start mixing up concoctions and things blow up and you know we saw somebody dress up like a potato or what does my potato look like or you know there's just some some crazy interesting things you could go you could really take that to another level um by mixing up you know i remember those little kids lollies back in the 90s where you like you mix up these little different jellies and it makes a little little candy but like there's so many crazy cool things you can do and i think cog forts which you guys have coming up uh you don't actually build a cog fort at home like you actually build it on the day which i think is crazy cool that's that's been the hardest thing to get across to players. Once we announced it, they were like, "I'm going to go and build my cog fort." It's like, "No!" 
bring your own bits, but like, you're going to build it on the day. Yeah. yeah, and you don't know what you're going to build, and we don't know what you're going to build because it depends what you find. Because the battle plans um, and um, the outside of the actual game itself, they'll have an, a, an effect on what kind of bits you 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 find, and we'll have all those bits there you can use. If you want to bring your own, that's fine. You can then substitute that for the bits you get, but you're not going to be able to go. I'm going to bring 15 guns and slap them all onto my onto my um, cog four. Because you well, might you not can. find they just won't guns. Be guns. There'll be pieces well, yeah. of metal. <laughs> yeah, there'll, there'll be there'll be whether it's a bit of armor or or a bit of an engine or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, the enthusiasm for that has been quite good fun. And uh, and, and actually, that, that, that I think you know um, we've seen we've seen from the the launch of uh, uh, Raw Sixteen Legends each year the sort of the buzz around the event has grown and gathered and momentum's grown and gathered and players who previously been want to come back. And that then's uh, um, an interesting thing for us as to uh, event organizers. It's like, how big can we let the event go before it becomes too hard to keep it raw? Yeah. You know, um, ben Johnson's always said to us, "You need a hundred player. A hundred. You could yeah. do a hundred player. You could no. fill Warhammer World. You could no, do a hundred player Raw." And and he's probably right. We could ultimately, but it's how we maintain that raw feel, yeah. and that um, uh, it's very difficult to let something become so big that it doesn't feel like it should be at its core. And we want to very much hang on to Raw and how it feels for the players and the immersion for the players. And ultimately, there's four of us. We can't spread ourselves that thin. We'll we'll try, you know, because Raw 20 was going to be our biggest event yet. We had 60 players booked up. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we've, we've postponed it till next year. And those 60 players hopefully will be there next year and we'll, we'll crack on. But, you know, it's, it's about making sure we can control it and and it kind of comes on to the question that Al's asked in the in the in the feed there how do you keep one person or team from running away with the story um it, it's about having that control <laughs> for the four mm. of us uh, and about being able to steer players and the great example to answer that question was the poll the twitter poll last year you know uh yes Drakathfoot and Brightmane were out there campaigning because it was a political narrative and we were on Twitter all the time, live, live, live uh, updates to the, to, to, to the Twitter sphere um, and trying to get the outside community to influence the story and the, the, what was going on. Um, but also the players in the room um, doing their dirty deals and their and their you know intermingling to try and and again Daniel Somerville became Drakkar's foot campaign manager and he was basically trying to poison everyone. Uh, it was just it's about um, sort of recognizing that maybe one faction swinging a little bit too far towards uh, you, know, you know outright victory and then throwing in a you know a, well uh, Gork and Mork have said no. Sorry, pals, uh, but all the destruction players in the room uh, on this faction are going to get a boon, and let's see if we can, you know, push back against that a little bit. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's just it's about having uh, an omnipresence in the room and seeing what's going on on each table, and we do spend an awful lot of time as event organisers just amongst the players uh, and and just seeing what's happening and hearing what's going on. 
um, and the players themselves become beacons for it. They, they, they'll, you'll, you'll see them coming to us saying, this has just happened. Uh, we need to, you know, uh, particularly last year, we need to try and do this. Um, and so, yeah, we, uh, Steve and myself were giving players specific side missions outside of the main storyline, if you like, to try and go and influence things. And, and, and it's just having the trust in the players to come to you and say, we're getting an absolute hammering here, guys. What are we going to do about it? You can then deal with it. You can, you can, you can inspire uh, greatness on the table. It, it makes me sound. It makes it sound like a uh, a narrative event organizer is a player, but the game is the the event, and you are playing the event, yeah. and it's you surveying the tabletops, but and then looking at ways that you can manipulate it accordingly to progress the narrative to change the narrative to uh alter someone's storyline to create storylines to create uh people's own little 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 hooks that might you know almost like you're dropping seeds all over the place and you know that uh they'll grow uh by the way you might want to uh kick out one of your players coming uh, charles nolan who is telling me he's going to be bringing black market wheels for for cog cog fort so uh, watch out watch out for this 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 black market wheel and dealer uh with his dodgy wheels <laughs> they're pram wheels right charles <laughs> um I, I, coming on a couple of things on on there um first of all actually ben johnson said we're never going to get 100 players to a, to a narrative event it'll never happen um my intention is to prove him wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he'll be sorely disappointed. He'll be like, oh, you got me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think we can do it. Um, we build on every year. But also I think it's important to recognise that um, we we don't get everything right. We haven't always yep. nailed everything at all. We, we, we make mistakes and we've, we've learned from them. I think particularly if we look at the first draw, we made a lot of mistakes in that one that um, – a lot of people didn't like. We had actually quite probably about half people never came back again. So it wasn't for them. But the match play players that want to play tournaments, they just you know they were just seeing what it was, which is fine. Um, we make mistakes every year. We try and learn from them and and, and make sure we we can improve. Uh, yeah, and like, like we said last time, ultimately, uh, sorry, last time, like we were talking about it yesterday. Uh, but uh, like um, like we said earlier, after every event, we always push back to the players for feedback. Um, and, and without shadow of a doubt, the players always come back with really good suggestions and we try really hard to take those suggestions on board and improve what we're doing. It's really important, I think, as an event organiser to learn at every event. Um, and like like we said, you know, we learn from going to other people's events. We learn from feedback from the players that attend our events and we learn through asking the community for advice and you know uh, uh what how we could better things so i i think ultimately that's it you know it doesn't matter what you do in life you're always learning right so you, there's no reason why you're not at an age of sigma event yeah one thing, I've, one thing i've always loved as well just i just want to give another shout out to a different na narrative event organizer and that is uh, alex from the animosity crew where you know looking at ways that he's incorporated discord and communication and you know faction communication and secrecy and you know as a as an event organizer i can use that to sneakily kind of communicate or, or provide benefits or instant intel to the narrative and manipulate the the game without actually having to physically talk to all my teams or creating the space for them to kind of plan things for 
their next strategic move. I think, um, again, there's another cool way you can, you can again, bring this story to life. Sorry, Jimbo, what were you going to say? That's a great question. What was I going to say? Uh, no, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was about the feedback, actually. I'm just going to say a bit of detail on how we, we just sent out a survey monkey, actually, and there's only three questions on it. And it's, um, what do you enjoy about the event? What do you not enjoy about the event? And what, um, uh, what, would, what would you add to improve it? Uh, yeah. uh, so we keep it really, really simple. Yeah, and, and yeah. as yeah, Mitzi we use said, net, net promoter metric, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as as Mitzi said, the um, the feedback we get is is really really helpful. The only time it's not helpful, we ha have had this a few times, is we get some people saying this thing was brilliant. If you don't include this, I'm never coming again. And other people saying this thing was awful. If you include it again, I'm never coming again. Which is like, uh, oh, someone's not going to be happy, but I can't do anything about it. That's, that, that, um, you must be talking about triumph and treachery. <laughs> uh, no, that was actually the um, skirmish. I remember. Oh, yeah, skirmish. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about logistics because one of the things as an event organizer, if I'm not going to be matching people up by wins and losses and kill points and objective uh, objective points or tournament points, whatever it might be, how on earth do you match up players? Like is there a, uh, a rough formula or a strategy or at least even some thinking on how you get players to fight each other? This, this has probably been our biggest problem that we've found real difficulty with is, is how we do that. Um, and I think probably last year was the first time we'd actually got a handle on a way that works for us. Um, previously we had done, we tried Swiss style, that didn't really work. Um, we've, we've tried just saying to the players, go and find a table, that didn't really work. Because um, people find it, sometimes people find it difficult to walk up to a table with someone already there they don't know, which, which is understandable. Um, but last year, because we had these two factions and everyone was in one or the other, um, Mitzi or Steve, Brightmane or Dracoffoot, actually appointed people who said, right, you go to this table here and your job is to do this, this and this. You go to this table here. Um, but some players wanted to, they, they requested specific tables they wanted to play on. Some people wanted to stay on the same table for the entire event because they wanted to defend that table because that was their territory. Fine. Knock yourself out. That's great. Um, and some people had their prearranged grudges. So... Mm -hmm. It was like, well, can we start the weekend playing each other? Um, and then, you know, first game in, we want to play each other because that's going to inspire what happens for us for the rest of the weekend. And then ultimately we get, yeah, I, um, that guy over there has just slaughtered um, the, the Bone Splitters army. I'm an ogre player. I really want to go and, and sort them out. So, yeah, so we, we kind of, and that then also throws spanners in works because we're, we're like, well, yeah, we've got this fixed. Right, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to do this. But then it's like, oh, but I've just played him. I know you've just played him, but I need you to go and sort this out for me. So, uh, yeah, you, you, yeah, it does create its own little mini beast. Um, but, yeah, as Jimbo said, year one, we were like, choose a table, choose an opponent, off you go. Uh, and people were like, what? <laughs> If you if you didn't have the politicians, or if you did, because obviously um, you have four people in your team, and for someone like me, for example, I'm a one man band right now. What advice would you give me when it comes to the matchup process? If I don't have this these factions, or if I create my own factions, they are player only factions. Like how how on earth would I do the matchups? Is it like you, is it a free, is it a free for all or? You could just randomize, so you can get, get just use a randomizer on a interwebs or um, uh, spreadsheet or something like that. It might work. Um, it, it's, it's a tricky one. I have to say, yeah. it's a tricky one. 
look at the objectives of the scenario and look at the play ba player base you've got and the army factions that you've got. So, for example, uh, I don't know, if it's something where someone's got to get somewhere real quick, then you might want to use, um, you know, um, oh, Stormcast with the big, fast chicken riders. I can't remember what they're called. Paladors. Um, <laughs> Paladors. Yes, Pal Pal Paladors and ride the winds etheric, you know. Um, I, I, I guess... Yeah, that's a really good question, and exact that that's exactly what Steve and I were employing last year. So it's mm. like, okay, I know I've got a Vanguard army, and I know he's got loads of Paladors, and I know we want to get somewhere quick and secure something and hold it for the game. Right, you have to go to that table, and you have to secure that objective for me. Um, I, I think objectives are your friend in this in this kind of environment because you know, again, we had three resources. So, and each of the resources, depending on which faction held which resource, meant a different thing. So, if we had all the food, the opposite faction were starving. So, in every hero phase, they had to roll a dice for every unit. If they rolled a one, they took mortal wounds because the unit was starving. If we had all the wealth, we had better equipment or whatever it was. So, um, uh, or you know, uh, so so yeah, you can tailor, I guess, the 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 battle plans to help you kind of sort the players, um, because you can then see when players arrive, you know what they've got, you know they're on opposing teams or they're fighting for something. Yeah, use use that metric to try and pair people up. I know, uh, I know, it doesn't always work, and and they're not they're not always necessarily going to get the right matchup. But again, it's then about having the trust in the players to make the game. I know Al Al in the chat has mentioned, you know, a colored colored balls from a bag might be a way. I know way I, I know either way I'm currently thinking about it. So I mentioned, you know, the Beast Grave, my allure of the Beast Grave event is primarily order versus chaos. Uh, you know, order want to defend the Beast Grave, chaos want to take over the Beast Grave. Uh, destruction and death are are essentially neutral neutral so i'm going to let them choose which side they're going to be on and i'm going to let them have opportunities to backstab and kind of switch teams uh during the game but you know using like event software for example like tournament software you can create teams where basically you can avoid them playing their own club mates so they don't game the system and i'm wondering if i create like an order team uh, a chaos team and then if i can get the tournament software to not match up order versus order chaos versus chaos that kind of mix them around um i'm wondering if i can do that at least you know manipulate destruction and death and um i think some of the randomness is cool i like the idea of letting people so i think that's the challenge right you know match play has structure and you tell me i'm on table five i'm up against this army i know it's 2k we just put our toys down we roll dice but in this narrative, it's almost like, well, I've got to, how do I, how do I do the matchups? Uh, how do I create a story? How do I have this conversation? Um, and I think obviously that creates opportunity, but also it also can be confusing. So I guess have, if nothing more, think about how you might want to do it. Is it random? Is it choose your own adventure? Is it the team who, the, if you lose, you get to choose. I know Holy Havoc, um, Steve Herner, for example, has a rule where how they choose their tables because because each of their tables is set in a realm and there's special benefits. Uh, and I think the losers, the person who loses in the last round, gets to go sit on a table, and then the winners of the last game then go find the table that they want to fight against. So the loser kind of gets to dictate the terms of battle. 
Um, if I remember Steve correct, maybe I'm making that up, but I, I think that was kind of roughly how he does that. Yeah, yeah, but that involves some kind of scoring metric at that point. And then going back to what we were talking about an hour ago, we don't tell people what our scoring metric is. Mm. Um, uh, so we keep that hidden. So it's quite, we, we have done Swift style before. It just, I'll be honest, it didn't, didn't work very well for us. Um, it may, you might find it does work for you. Uh, I guess it's something to think about. And I guess, I, I guess I'm calling this out because not everyone has a four person team. Um, yeah. But, but it's something that you probably want to think about on how, whether it's going to be random, whether you are going to use win-loss, uh, whether you are going to create some whole different objective or um, you're going to create something secret. Um, however you might want to do it, you may want to do it so you don't have complete bedlam at, at your event and then, you you know, you're spending half an hour trying to work out how you do the matchups. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and actually, just picking up on what Charles has just said in in the the chat, that ultimately, because because of the way we do raw, and because each game is always a different army size, um, you're not playing the same list if you end up playing the same person, um, and also the scenarios are so wild and wacky that ultimately it's going to skew uh, again the game, and it's going to be a completely different game. So I think I think that ultimately, occasionally, we do have players who play the same person twice uh, mm-hmm. over the weekend, but it's never a problem. Uh, the, the scenario and the, the, the opponents, the co-players, sort it out between them. Um, and ultimately, the overarching story always have, has a slant on what we want the outcome to be, So, or, or indeed what the outcome's going to ultimately be. So I, I think they're both co-players are playing towards that and they play it in the spirit of the event. So it, it's it's never a real issue. Another way you could do it, just thinking, this is off the top of my head, Anthony, uh, you could like have one side of the table, A, and one side B, for example, and then at the end of each game, you say, right, every player A goes two tables to the left, every player B goes four tables to the right. And then just mix it up each time. Uh, again, you wouldn't then play the players that are next to you, but that could quite work quite well if you're next to the people in your order faction, for example. Yeah, and, and look, you know, like I, I guess again, the point was is just think this through because again, if I run a, a traditional match play tournament, I use best coast pairings, I use you know down down under pairings, I use some type of yeah. tournament software, and that determines how the the rounds are set up. But as a narrative event organizer, how do I do it? Yeah. And it's a- there is, no, and I think if, if this two hours so far has proven anything, it's that there is no one silver bullet to any no. of the answers that you have. This is a sandbox. You do what you want to do. If you want to create a fully customized, narrative driven, uh, choose your own adventure where each faction does something, and depending on what happens with the faction, the story and the battle plan, you might have 50 battle plans. And depending on the outcomes of each round, actually might determine the next set of battle rep plans. Or it could be something simple as just a little narrative flair to a match play to a system where you've got maybe you have no battle line, maybe uh, maybe you bring some old Warhammer Fantasy battle rules where, you know, 50% of your army can be heroes, 25%, you know, like whatever you want. Do, do whatever you want. I think either way, it's your sandbox. Do what you want to do. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think ultimately I would say to anyone who's uh, narrative curious, Build it and they will come. To use that old film quote, uh, <laughs> um, build it and they'll come. You know, that's what we did. We, we, we put on an event that we would want to go to as players. Um, 
and no one's gonna no one's gonna um you know um put you down for that ultimately as an event organizer it's your event you do what you want yeah. uh, the players will embrace it or not embrace it if they don't embrace it they won't come next year but other people will so i, th I think do what you want to do give people the opportunity to 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 play in a different environment that they would normally play in um uh, step outside of the regulated match play form of aos i mean I, personally when i play match play i still like to play on a, a a table that is full of terrain i think terrain has a massive impact on the game of age of sigma and i think terrain is still underused at match play events I, I i would happily play on the raw tables at a match play event because i think it just adds to the excitement of playing the game um personally um uh, you know who doesn't want to play over floating islands around a a city of mitzmanheim uh who doesn't want to play in a in a desert that's got sh shifting sand dunes you know it, it, that's what the world of age of sigmar is all about as far as i'm concerned i think well, i think one thing that's very cool as well is um I've seen a lot of internet battle tomes. People like uh, Ricky Smith, for example, made his World Titans battle tome for his um, his Gargans, but he's also made a Midnight City for his Cities of Sigma, but his own version. You've got the likes of Tyler Mengel, who wrote his own um, uh, Age of Sigma Tomb Kings uh, battle tome. Um, yeah. We're seeing more of those types of custom War Scrolls, custom uh, rule sets, and these people aren't making them because they want some busted, overpowered unit or army, but it's, it's their way to tell their story through War Scrolls. And I think, again, that also is a cool opportunity to go, look, I want to run a Necrosphinx. Um, oh, I've got this crazy idea of want to do X. Um, can I bring this to life at your event? And even just the little floating islands, again, Dark Fantastic Mills, for example, uh, does sell them and, you know, you could make them through foam or whatever it is. But how often do you play Age of Sigmar in 3D? Like actually having floating islands that you can put models on and all of a sudden you're now playing on the battlefield. I know, I think uh, Nova um, had a ship battle, like literally yep. on sea having ship battles. Um, you could have a sky battle. You know, there's new rules around fighting in the sky, but, you know, the, the, the world is your oyster. Like you could do so many cool, crazy stuff. And and you're right. If you build it, people will come. Um, yeah, I, we're also we're also very blessed that we have uh, Bishmeister, who is uh, a, a, an amazing, incredible terrain manufacturer uh, extraordinaire, uh, who brings a new something for us every year to feature at Raw. Uh, and last year, having his um, having his uh, Mercia Miniatures um, um, Harbor that he created was just amazing. And and people, you know that that's a it just to me adds so much to the game of age of sigma that you you could you could do nothing else other than build terrain and, and jimbo and i have spent many many hours building terrain for raw um but but it really does enrich the game uh and i would say if you do nothing else take a look at what you normally play on week in week out and add something to it you know every month pledge to yourself make a new piece of terrain for your personal collection so that when you do play your your mates that you've got a really spectacular table or a different table to play on. You can see in the corner, like you can see on the screen here as well, and I hope you don't get insulted here, but a couple of those pieces of terrain look, look really cheap and you can just go buy blue foam, pink foam, whatever yeah. country colour foam it is. But those those yellow circles, they just look like foam you've cut with a knife, you've cut with a hot wire cutter. 
that sense on the dollars there and, and it just changes the dynamic completely on the table. So I think, again, if I'm a narrative event organiser, I'm thinking about terrain, I'm thinking about how do I tell the story, how do I create and force different, um, different interactions. And I love the example that you used previously that the tables aren't six by four. If you've got a couple of connecting um, battle mats and they're all similar themed, you could have like literally like five tables in a row and that is one realm, that is one table. And yes, I might play in a proportion of that table, but it doesn't mean I can't interact in others. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, who's to say that my wizard wagon doesn't go shoot completely uh, and go help my ally or go uh, go do something because I feel like it or whatever it might be. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, why wouldn't they? You can see that, I think, in the bottom right-hand uh, picture with that's Shaish. You can see the sand dunes and it leads on to, um, uh, to the graveyard and uh, it's, it's all one area. Yeah. And that's only half the table. There's another. There's another two bits. Another two tables. The other side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think just a word of warning. Um, we we have about forty boxes of terrain in my warehouse here, as well as our own personal collection of terrain that we have at each other's houses. So it does because we like to put on a new. You know, we like to constantly make terrain so that every year the tables are evolving. We have an awful lot of terrain kicking around. Yeah. I, I have t I have two 3D printers working 24-7. I have a lot of terrain. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. But, so but, bear that in mind. You do have to yeah, store it somewhere. <laughs> you have to store it somewhere. You have to create it. But, you know, take the lessons from Australia. I know one thing that I'm very proud of is that we've created a culture where all players are to contribute three pieces of terrain to the event. So they'll come in and they'll uh, they'll lend it. They'll drop it here. Uh, and it does create uh, alleviate some of the uh, the re resource responsibility from an event organizer, especially if you're growing and you're new to the hobby or you're new to event running. Um, getting people to contribute, asking people to, to contribute. Maybe you give them a boon. Maybe you give them a benefit by contributing and helping. Um, think about you know really i think you guys have mentioned it as well you know steve is wonderful at you know graphic design lean in on other people in and create a team even if it's not a formal team i'm sure there are players out there who are willing to lend a hand in their expertise whether it's marketing whether it's you know graphic design you might have some people who have who have connections in printers and they could print off some flyers or some things at no cost um, yeah. You might have builders who have cheap foam or or extracted foam they usually throw away that could give you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for us, I mean, you mentioned him before, Dark Fantastic Mills. Um, he, he's supported us pretty much since Raw, the original Raw, uh, for five years. Uh, I think, yeah, the floating island there, that's one of his very early tree prototypes on top of the island um that he that he printed for us um he did the raw nado for athemy he's done our medals for us uh, you can that, that that's just an in-game thing that we used at athemy um what yeah. spell that was 3, 3d sorry it's an endless spell and it's an endless spell yeah absolutely uh but again um use use the resources that you have available to you um, and and there are people out there with mad skills. I mean, as you say, you're you're constantly three D printing. Um, you, you know, there's so much stuff out there in Thingiverse that you can use um, if you know someone who can three D print. You well, know? I just told I, I I've mentioned in this episode a few times now, and I, I wish I had them here. Is that I've literally printed coins, um, yeah. and it's cost it'll cost me at the end of it all probably twenty bucks or less to print 
probably like 500 coins that I'll want to use during the event. Um, but that file came from uh, a free website and it was just a matter of printing materials and um, it's not very expensive. And if, if you know someone with a 3D printer, I'm sure they'd throw you a favor. Um, that's like, like I think I think the thing the thing here is thinking outside the box. And I think if nothing more over these last two hours or so, I hope there is a few ideas that have been sparked to go, how do I think differently? How do I create an event that is narrative driven? and is going to be a little bit different from match play. Again, match play is not bad, but it's breaking away from the framework and tapping into that sandbox that you guys have spoken about already to, to create a battle or a create a system that isn't based purely on wins and loss and kill points, but rather a story hook, whether it's your story hook or a personal story. And one of the things that I'm doing at, at my event, Allure of the Beast Grave, is I'm asking my players to submit a couple of personal objectives. And, and I'm not going to track it. I'm not going to tell them it's not good or it's too good. But I want them to think about their army and say, right, if we're going for the Beast Grave, if we're going into Gur and doing something with the Beast Grave, what am I doing? And hopefully I can look at all of those objectives and go, right, well, maybe I'll use that for my pair-ups. Maybe I'll look for ways that I can interact with them. And the more that they give me the more I can work with over the weekend. And, you know, if someone's trying to get favor with Nagash because, you know, the, the death magic is seeping in and they want to really uh, open that up so, you know, Nagash gets superpowers from, from the, the Beast Grave and we unlock some undead um, demi-god demi beast that's sitting under Beast Grave, okay, that's something that I can work with as an event organizer. I'm now going to try to find hooks and I'll probably interact with that table more because they've given me as the game master something to work with. So if I can encourage that, that's how I can give as much as as what I can um, to their story. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> no. Definitely. The last question. Oh, could you Sorry. I was going to say, I was just going to jump back very quickly on something you mentioned earlier about custom war, custom war scrolls. Uh, and we do get asked if people can write their own war scrolls and bring them, which, yes, they can. Uh, my advice to anyone doing that, because again, we use points. Obviously, a custom war scroll doesn't have, have its own points. Uh, there is an envelope of apotheosis for heroes now, which you can use. But if you are writing your own, I would strongly suggest making sure they are either overpointed or underpowered, because it's not much fun for anyone if you bring along uh, a custom unit that no one's ever seen before that absolutely wrecks face. Um, uh, and the particular problem, actually, I. I've seen is with buff units. So a unit that buffs other units, um, you think it's gonna be a little effect and it actually multiplies out quite a lot and, and they can be a lot more powerful than, um, than they, they appear on paper in the game. So um, so yeah, my general advice on that to anyone thinking about doing it, if you wanna do it, that's great, I love it, that's cool, but always on the side of caution and make sure you're the one taking the hit rather than someone else. Yeah, that's good advice. That, that is good advice. I think everyone comes in with the intention of having something narrative. I, I don't think people are sitting there going, how do I make this busted? No. But without play testing, without actually uh, really thinking through what it can do, uh, it can be it can create a, a negative experience. And uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, look for ways to weaken. Like if it's really strong in combat, cool. Maybe you give it less wounds or less defense because it's very offensive, right? Like look for ways that you can create a weakness, not just all benefits. Definitely. Yeah. 
we have I, I, I've asked you guys a lot of questions and I could keep going. I, I think based on Twitter alone, I think we could easily have like a five hour conversation. This is uh, it's, and I, I, it's, I don't mind. Um, I don't mind. But uh, I, I am conscious of everyone's time and uh, making sure everyone kind of who, who, who listens to this gets the value that they want. So probably the last questions um, I, I, I have is specifically maybe two, two, two final questions, one from, uh, from Twitter, one from myself. So the last question from Twitter is from uh, Kurt Niggett. Uh, I'm assuming it's Monty Python. If not, it is Monty Python. I don't care. Kurt Niggett. Uh, and, in, and, and the question is, what is the craziest narrative event or game do you wish that you could run? So... Uh... So I'll take that one, first of all. Um, I'd love to do something in a massive themed warehouse where it's got rooms in it that each of the rooms is themed to the realm. So it's not just a table. Everything around you is also the realm as well. Um, each of the doors you go through to a different one is a realm gate. That would be really cool. I'm thinking something like the Crystal Maze. I don't know if you had that in Australia. You probably did. But something like that I think would be amazing. And also uh, loads of NPC actors in as well. So, like, you know, if you're if you're running an Iron Jaws army, you go right. Okay, I'm going to charge that my brutes into that unit there. You roll the dice and then have like five or six people dressed up as Oryx just legging it past you, screaming "Wah!" <laughs> I think that'd be amazing. That's gen that's generally me at Raw, right? <laughs> I love it. Hide actors. I think that's uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, almost like secret cinema. Uh, I don't know whether you have that in Australia, where where it's basically so they 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 sell tickets to it could be Blade Runner, and uh, you you basically turn up to watch Blade Runner, but every single person that goes dresses as a character or themes themselves to the Blade Blade Runner environment, and when you arrive, you literally walk onto a movie set. So they they have loads of actors actresses there um, who are all interacting with you in the blade runner environment and then at the end of the evening you have meals drinks what have you you sitting down and watch the film it's an incredible experience i've not done it yet but i've seen a lot of people i know a lot of people who go uh, and you just immerse yourself fully in the world so i'm with jimbo there one day raw will be a fully immersive uh yeah uh, uh roarathon or something <laughs> um but yeah no i i think i think ultimately to answer the question raw is the the event that we want to run and i'm really excited about cogforts because i think people are going to get a real kick out of turning up and having the games influence what they ultimately create and take away with them at the end of the weekend uh, i think nuts so I say logistically, it's a nightmare for us, but hey ho, it'll be fun. And, and the cool thing as well, like when I read through the, um, and by the way, if anyone's interested in what Team Rawson have created, in the description below, I have links to four of the players packs. So I think the last four players packs are in the the links already. There's also a link to a amazing narrative website called We Are the Neo or the We Are the Neon which yep. is the Narrative Event Organizer Network, uh, run by a, a whole bunch of legends, but they have been able to capture and distill some of the best practice out there, give you resources, tips, techniques, very, very, very cool resource. I'd highly recommend it. I've also got the link to my players pack, my latest Beast Grave um, players pack, if you kind of want to see the direction that I'm going with. 
Um, but I love the idea of, um, of of creating immersion and thinking about ways you can in incorporate music and lighting as well. And um, I don't know if how you, how you can use that to set the scene without it being a distraction, but um, I think the theatrics um, bringing that in um, could be very, very cool. Um, play, you know, having little, like maybe in between battle rounds, you have little play clips of, you know, a, a battle or a progression or some type of, uh, you tell the story arc through, through that little video and then it's like, cool, what does your character do? How do you disseminate that information? And then what's your next play? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Very cin cinematic. I think we'll have to jack up the prices a little bit for it to, to do that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I totally get that as, making an event as immersive as you possibly can is, for me, the direction that we want Raw to always be heading in. You know, uh, being able to just walk into a room for two days with 40, 50, 60 other people and just spend the weekend totally, you know, brain is switched off from the outside world. You are 100% focused on the character that you're portraying in your army and assisting the other characters in the room in guiding the story towards a goal. That That's where Raw lies for us. And I, and I think that's that's where it will always head. Simple things like adding music actually while the event is on, while people are playing the games, is actually really good. Um, yeah. the, the, the boys the boys won't let me put Avril Lavigne on, unfortunately, which I would listen to relentlessly. Um, so yeah, just simple thing. I mean, we, we often play the um, Lord of the Rings soundtrack. I was going to say the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. It's, it's, an, it's an easy one, easy win. You know, you just put it over the top and it's, it's themey, it's exciting, it's scary it's dirty it's something uplifting you know so Dun the yeah. dungeons and dragon dungeons and dragons has a really cool um whole set of music as well and if you look at dungeons and dragons and you're thinking about uh how do i create music or bring music to the fold there are so many cool music clips either long and short to create battle scenes to have the tavern music to have uh you know walking through the through, through the the wilderness or you know the forest and um, if, if that's something that you're interested in, you can create the immersion through existing assets. If you think outside of the box of Age of Sigma, what's happening in 40K? What's happening in Dungeons and Dragons? What's happening in Magic the Gathering? What's happening in the LARPing and cosplay community? Um, for anyone who follows me on Twitter, you'll know that, oh, actually, I have um, a Moon Clan sickle, uh, for example. I have Gal Moraz. There is a whole bunch of uh, Age of Sigma. Uh, weapons that are available for cosplay and 3D printing, right? So, how can I use that in 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 my tournament? Um, is it is it a quest for Galmaraz? And at the end, you award the winner, Galmaraz. Brilliant idea! You know, Love it. Like, who's the next Celestine Prime, or who's going to be? Uh, you know, who's the next Mortark? Maybe the maybe the next campaign is about a Mortark. I think there's so many stories now. Uh, you know, trying to find Tyrion or uh, you know, the Deepkin stole somebody in it when, it, when we're trying to deal with the Deepkin or it's a million stories, a million stories you can tap into. Um, Absolutely. Why yeah, don't disagree. And we talked about it right at the start, Phil Kelly's and his team, the, the, the law they're putting out, uh, not, just, not just the writing, but the maps. And I'd like to see more maps. I, I think we could do them. I'd like to see things. I thought Firestorm was really, really good. It was a great little supplement. Obviously, it wasn't around for too long. Um, but that, that was one of the first things that actually gave us somewhere in the Mortal Realms to, to work with. Um, I, I thought it was fantastic. I'd love to see more stuff like Firestorm. Yeah. And go go back and check out the, the Malign Portance short stories as well. Mm. 
That's yeah. so cool. They are, they are yeah. full of rich pickings. Uh, I know everyone joked about the fact that, you know, uh, where, where's the farmers in Age of Sigmar? Where are the real people? Well, those short stories were the first sort of inkling into those those perspectives. Um, they're, they're incredible. And, and Jimbo and I were fortunate enough to, or unfortunate enough to have bought tickets to go back to Adepticon this year and obviously didn't go. But part of the uh, the preview show, uh, GW, they actually sent out the, the packs to everyone that had tickets for the preview show. And in there is actually a book version of all of the Malign Portent stories, um, which is awesome. So, um, so yeah, but you can still find them online. So go, go and check them out. And, and uh, they're awesome. Really awesome. There, it, it, there is a surprising amount of resources available. And even if I was just starting my journey, right, uh, like for me to learn Beast Grave, right, uh, I went on and used one of my Audible credits to download the Beast Grave um, audio drama, which is awesome. I could learn so much. I've got 2 Plus Tough. I've got Cinder 4 Gaming. I've got so many people out there who are currently producing law videos, so it's easy for me to understand the law. I've got maps. Um, I've got uh, the the Firestorm hexagon kind of, you know, map set up where I could create my own. Um, truly, guys, I hope I hope after this last two, almost two and a half hours, you are inspired and you have one, two, three different ideas to either start your event. Uh, maybe if you play or create events at a local game store, you bring a, a, a narrative touch or maybe once a quarter you run more of a narrative style event as opposed to just traditional 2K. It's always good to break it up as well. I think we kind of get tired of the same format every time. Um, and, you know, you can kind of test the waters there. But there's just so much out there. And I think we talk too – I don't think we talk too much about match play, but I think there is opportunity to explore narrative. And I think you both have given us some really good examples of where to start and how to take my event to that next level. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the last question, I did say I had two questions and I've got yep. one final question to take us home and then we do the shout outs. Um, what advice would you give somebody considering running a narrative event? What's their final, the final words of wisdom after all of this wonderful discussion, but what's your, what's your final, final piece of advice? Uh, I'd say start small, keep it manageable. Um, narrative events are more work than match play events. That's just, that's just the way it is uh, beforehand and during. Um, I think not not all players want to read tons of blurb. We like to produce stuff like that, but not everyone wants to read it. So uh, don't be offended if some people don't don't like. Yeah, probably don't like some of the stuff you do. That's just life. Uh, play test whatever you produce. Uh, you could use um, match play or or narrative battle plans produced by GW if you want to. That's absolutely fine. If you want to do your own, I would thoroughly recommend play testing them. That was a mistake we made. We didn't do enough play testing originally. We do now. Um, and uh, going back, we said earlier, ask for feedback. If you ask your players you know, what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy, and say, ask them for help, and they will. They really will. Everyone out there will help you. Yeah. And along the playtesting um, thing, I, I'd wholeheartedly advise that. A, because it gave gives you the opportunity to play through what you've created. Uh, but B, you don't have to do that. If you don't have the time to do that, for the Aethermy deck, um for 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 that we actually went overseas and we asked um uh, uh, a lot of the guys on the neon uh, network to play test that because they weren't going to be coming to the event it wasn't you know they they signed their ndas um so that they didn't release anything 
um, and we took their ounce of blood. Um, but yeah, we, we put it out there. Ask the community for help. Yeah, put it out there. You know they're not coming. Ask them to play through it. Give you constructive criticism and feedback and then that gives you the ability to go into the event with confidence knowing that you're not going to fall down at the first hurdle with the first battle plan being very skewed in one direction so yeah a hundred percent play test stuff uh, i just had one final thought that uh a resource that i probably should have linked below and i probably will link later um but there is a facebook group as well called aos neon so yep. uh aos space n-e-o-n uh narrative event organizer network and it is people like mitzi jimbo like alex like uh nuno like aaron like all the people who are running events and they're doing it bill uh is another one uh it's a very wonderful resource to sense check get ideas uh borrow ideas um get inspiration for a, a narrative event and i'm sure they would welcome you if you want to jump onto aos neon um, but also there's a whole bunch of links, as, as I mentioned, we are the Neo, uh, is another one that's I've already linked in the show. So I hope, I hope people are inspired to either attend an event to set up their own event or to, uh, to thinking about ways that they can scale or improve their existing assets. Um, I'd love to see more store tour, store narrative events. Mm. Um, I'd love to see more armies, uh, no, armies on parade, um, anvils of apotheosis, um, uh one thing as well that you might have noticed is um we haven't really spoken about 2k and the reason is is it you know i really like the idea of going at 1000 or 1500 points because it allows you flexibility but it also allows you to um give people more time to create stories and not be so rushed i think uh scaling it back a little bit creates opportunity to to, to storytell and tell different stories than the traditional list that i've been running around at tournaments at 2k yeah, because ultimately, if you've got 10 players at 1,500 points, um, ultimately, the, the final game on, on day two could be, um, you know, uh, five players on each side of the table. You've got a very big battle there that will last a couple of hours. So, um, you know, and you're fully interacting across the table. So, um, yeah, 100%. I'm, we're all in favour of small scale and, and different size games throughout the event. 500 points, 750, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, whatever you get to. Um, but, yeah, you, you can start small and aim uh, and end up big, definitely. No, this and is you're absolutely thing. right because it, it does give you – it frees up the time during the player's day to tell those stories and to interact more with their co-players. Jim, are you going to say something? Uh, no, I was going to agree. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise, Mitzi and Jimbo agree. Uh, cut from we, don't the same we don't always. We don't always. I said he... wear black t-shirts today. He said no. I'm wearing red and white. <laughs> well, I wish I, I do wish you wore your Mitzi shirt. Uh, it's very cool. Um, <laughs> uh, I do like that you've got shirts with Mitzi and Jimbo. I feel like I need one. I've still got my Mitzi and Jimbo uh, beer opener as well. So uh, I tell you uh, what, they are as rare as hen's teeth. Those things are they? Yeah, we need to. Uh, we need to get some new merch. Or once we've done some more content. <laughs> All right. Well, you've got well, you've got a show here. Uh, it's been tw two and a half hours of solid gold, 24, 24 karat gold. Uh, I'm sure that uh, all the likes are going to follow after this episode. But if people wanted to learn more about you guys, they want to learn more about your events. Uh, I know you have a YouTube channel. Uh, I'm subscribed. Absolutely love your content. People want to learn more. Where do they find you? 
so I guess the best place to start is on Twitter. Uh, so my my Twitter handle is at Eat Bats Mitzi. That's all one word. Yes, Eat Bats Mitzi. Um, and or you can find both of us on Twitter at Mitzi and Jimbo. I, I've also been holding this off. It has nothing to do with COVID, does it? You know, Eat eating bat. bats. No, 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 no. You're not <laughs> eating bats. It has nothing no. to do with COVID, right? You weren't patient number one, were you? Uh, no, 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 absolutely not. No, Eat Bats stands for East Anglian Tournament and Battle Squad. Because so, you, you can see where people would mistake Eat Bats. You're like... Right, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no, no. We've been around a lot longer than COVID. <laughs> yeah. Dear, oh dear. Uh, yes. Um, and if people want to find me, uh, I'm at Jimbo9Jimbo. Uh, uh, also, we've got a raw Twitter handle, which is at realms underscore at war, underscore war, sorry. Uh, and we also uh, use the hashtags, hashtag raw, R-A-W, and then the year, so 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Um, you can search for all those for um, not just what we put out, but what our, our players put out as well. And also in the preparation up to each event, we use the hashtag road to raw, hashtag road to raw. Um, again, all the players, I'll say all the players, a lot of players post on that just what they're building and just share it around with each other and, and have fun and interact. And uh, it's brilliant. So, yeah. And if people um, want to see more of those videos that I showed, um, Steve Foote, uh, if you search mm -hmm. on YouTube, Steve Foote, uh, Foote with an E at the end. Um, he uh, has all those videos as well. So there's some very, very cool videos from Legends, Leviathan, Cog, uh, Cogforts, uh, Aether Labs, insert name here that I've forgotten, but uh, all the videos, there's a really cool gardening video where he's like tendering like it's... Silverneck is brilliant. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah, Steve is uh, at Tim Racer Steve uh, on Twitter and Ming is at Thorn Shield. Um, I'd also, while we're on, actually like to plug uh, the Eat Bats um, crew. They're, they're a good bunch of lads, um, mostly match play, but some narrative as well, as well. And they actually have a podcast which is called Eat Bats of Sigma. Um, again, you can find that on Twitter or just go into your normal podcast uh, channels and just search for Eat Bats of Sigma. It's a real good listen. It's not regular content. They just do it whenever uh, they fancy it, but um, it's nice chilled out and uh, good to have a beer and uh, do some model painting while you're listening to them. You got, you got people asking for uh, Raw to come to Detroit, and uh, and hopefully uh, this inspires some more narrative events that are going to happen across the world. So, uh, we, fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've always liked the hashtag Raw on tour, so <laughs> may, maybe one day it'll happen. But uh, we'll need a shipping container to get the uh, the uh, the whole show up and running. Well, listen, you you pommies love to come to Australia, especially when it comes to summer. I've got the terrain, man. I've got I've got four. I've counted. I've counted. I now have five hundred pieces of terrain, all three D printed, all Games Workshop. Uh mate, run an event. You got my terrain. Uh it's very realm themed, so I, I welcome you uh, to our shores. Sounds awesome. Love That's it. Very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> we will one month, one day make make make, make that happen. <laughs> Twitter Twitter handles are in the channel description already. If not, they will be. Uh, go check out their YouTube channel. It is really good. Enjoy uh, the hops hoedown, Mitzi Jimbo. Uh, it is an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing two and a half hours of amazing content around narrative events. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed it, found something useful. Hopefully I see you at a narrative event and I start seeing your narrative ideas on Twitter, uh, not Instagram. I'm useless as Instagram. But Mitzi Jimbo, thanks, thanks for your time. Thank thanks you for having us. And don't forget, name your characters. Mate.
How good was that video? Surely it's going to go straight to the pool room. If you enjoyed that video, I would appreciate it if you crush that like button. And if you have an opinion, leave it in the comment section. That lets YouTube know it's a great video and it should share it with other Age of Sigmar players. Cheers to all the bloody legends here on the screen who have financially supported AOS Coach on Patreon on YouTube members. Their contributions have helped me improve the quality, frequency, and the variety of content on this channel. So cheers guys, you are bloody legends. Until the next video, don't forget to shoot the heroes and have a good one.